Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We hope you are having a wonderful holiday season. This is episode 204. We're recording this on Tuesday, December 27th, 2022 at 5 p.m. Pacific time. It's our last episode of 2022. Uh, It's been a fun year. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'm Terry. We've got Zach and we have Adam again. This is Todd's last uh, last week on hiatus for uh, the holiday season uh how's it going guys going good how are you guys doing i'm in a great mood because i beat terry at fantasy football i don't want to talk about it i don't well i think we need to talk about it because it was uh it was pretty amazing i'm in the championship game with a six and eight team and um i uh i I beat terry and cassie it was the the veritable pluck net double that uh i i took advantage of yeah thank you zach moss I had Cam Akers on my bench that would have gotten me 32 points if I'd played him. I got like four points out of Mark Andrews this weekend. Uh, it it Everything kind of just went wrong. Well, a lot it, of things went wrong. A lot of things went wrong. Was it the door? Um, yeah, I... And then the other thing is I, I was in a semifinal my other league. I, I had a public league on Yahoo. And going into... The afternoon window on Saturday? No, Sunday? Whenever Tampa Bay played. Sunday afternoon. I needed 20 points. 20 points from Tom Brady and DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins had one catch for four yards. And Brady had like 12 points. And most of that was in the last two minutes of the game. Uh, Tom Brady breaking your heart. We'll see. My starting quarterback before. in that league has been Kyler Murray all year, <sighs> and yeah. the, the Seahawks look horrible against the Chiefs. But I mean, everyone looks horrible against the Chiefs. Mm. It just was, especially in negative weather. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, going into the, I knew you were going to mention something, and who? I don't even know who you're playing in the championship. Who are you playing? Uh, someone I don't know named Nick. But uh, you know, the, we do. The, oh, Nick. Yeah. The, the the real uh, elephant in the room is uh, w- when, not if, I win next week. Um, first of all, it's got to set some kind of record because my draft grade was the lowest. It was a D. I it think was. I still that's have, right. I still well, have. Like, I, was, the, I was second you were, lowest. You were the second that. lowest. Yeah, so that's that's something. I also am like the third lowest power rankings. And um, I don't even play the, the first running back I started. Uh, to, to two of my f- top four draft picks I don't play. And um, hey, it's just – it's. I think the real question is when I win it, do I get the trophy? Yes. Shit. Dude, low blow, man. Low blow. <laughs> Adam doesn't know what we're talking about, but no, I appreciate no. the enthusiasm, Adam. Two out of three people think I deserve the trophy. So I'll take that. That's winning. I'm team win. Zach whenever yeah. uh, I can be. Yeah. It seems like that's good odds sometimes. Just send it it's, to it's Zach. Zach. Unless, unless it's not. Unless it's, it's not good odds. A little, a bit of a snarky dick, okay? But. It's, <laughs> It's uh, a little bit, just a little, just a little single-handedly ending an entire fantasy football league Um, for a whole entire household. 
no 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 no, no. You, you don't understand it, i have no it, idea I'm, uh anyway but yeah shout out to nick nick was uh sammy's nick. replacement in the league oh. uh, he was on he's on my softball team well he was wow. on my softball team till he moved to new hampshire but uh shout out to nick way to go dude i'm sure wow. he's listening yeah in new hampshire it, what, what is he's what he's got a great name too right isn't it i don't understand something his name. with Ram- ramondre stevenson oh, forgot about Ramondre. Yeah. Like forgot about Dre. Oh, that's good. That's pretty good. good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. Well, let's get this back on track. We haven't even started yet and we're off track, but uh, thank you guys so much for listening to our random banter of fantasy football and uh, softball. softball. (laughs) Uh, But uh, let's talk about some movies, but first. Oh yeah, that's right. That's what we do here. Yeah. It's it's what we do. Most important question. New Hampshire. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having the last. Kahlua and eggnog in the city of Houston, at least for this year. Everyone doing all right? Looks okay. Hey, Cadet Adam, what are you drinking? Uh, yeah, I found this really nice. I was traveling at Safeway, and I found this really cool whiskey sour cocktail mix from Daniel's Broiler they sell there. Nice. So I'm giving it a shot. So. I would not drink that. <clears throat> no, well, but... not straight, but yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I realized I can't pour it because it doesn't have any whiskey, and I have to actually put the whiskey in myself. So, yeah, that was the oh, roughly earlier. The this is just the cocktail it's mix. Quite, it's quite a package for the mix. I mean, it's very impressive to look this at. It says there's instructions to it, and <laughs> yeah, it's, any, GMO, it's GMO free. It says, is there any like, wow. al- is there any alcohol content in it? Um, let's see here. Hmm. Probably not if it's just a cocktail mix. No, but this is the only. This is I bought my my wife a similar thing of Mai Tai, right? And that has actually uh, um, alcohol in oh, it. Okay. That didn't get flagged for the the ID. This mix with no alcohol in it got the the flag. That's funny. So uh, that was the that was the best part. You so. Well, it says whiskey on it. So McLovin ID it. when you bought bought it. Yeah, it says I'm twelve for twenty bucks. Uh, that's transformers. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm gonna give that a shot sometime. That is that is interesting that you got ID'd for it. What does that say? <laughs> it's gotta mean something, right? Is does that mean it's a very juvenile drink, maybe? Like it's something well, teenagers them. would get? Oh, I don't know. Whiskey sours are pretty good. That seem a little juvenile. Last okay, week well, I got then. ID'd at the at the grocery store for buying a pack of non-alcoholic hop-infused uh seltzer water. But that was done by a brewery, had zero alcohol content, but I got, I had, I got carded for it. So, yeah, we went out to a restaurant. My wife and I got carded for a drink. This is when my sister was up here. However, I think the waitress was flirting with my sister and she did not get carded and got extra alcohol. So I was like, can you get, hook your brother up with a discount, please? (laughs) (laughs) Flirt a little bit more if you could, (laughs) because I'm paying for dinner. (laughs) It'll do good with family. Go a long way. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, I am drinking it. It's it's the last last podcast of 2022. It's kind of the the the, the send out of the Christmas season. Uh, I was listening to a podcast today that said uh, called this week the gap week because it's a week between Christmas and New Year's kind of like a gap year before college. This is the gap week. You know, there's some stuff that can happen. But anyways, I'm drinking the last of my uh, Pelican Bad Santa. Hmm. Look at that guy. That's nice. That's I thought the story awesome. was going to end with you going to the gap. No, that would that would be cool. Oh. That'd be cool. 
All right, let's talk about what we've been watching, and we are going to start with Adam. All right, well, first things first, uh, I forgot to pull this up, of course, but uh, kill time. Uh, so Zach actually asked me what my thoughts on Wednesday was. So I wanted to just share a little light. I actually finished oh, the show go. Wednesday uh, starring Jenny Ortega, and it follows her year at Nevermore School because she got kicked out of the other uh, – um, school that she was in so she went to this nevermore and Gwyneth christie plays like the dean of the school and christina ritchie places a school teacher as well and there's some mur- uh, killings happening off campus and this police detective is trying to track down uh who the, this killer the killer is and they, he assumes it's somebody from nevermore uh and i think this move this show is going to be best remembered for tiktok dances and Ginny ortega uh having kind of a really good interpretation of the character Wednesday Adams. And I, I really kind of enjoyed her take on it because it was familiar, but also different at the same time. I think that she does a really good job paying homage to Christina Ritchie and Christina Ritchie in here. I'm not going to spoil what her take is, but it was good that they had her in there. And uh, it's definitely different than Raul Julia and um, uh, Angelica Houston's take on her parents. But uh I liked what Cita Jones and I can't remember what his name Luis was. Guzman. Yeah, Luis Guzman. But uh, it's going to take it. It's going to be interesting to see what they do for season two. I wanted them to bring in cousin it this time. That'll be yeah. a really fun take. But yeah, I thought Wednesday was a fun, uh, fun enough watch. It's Adam's family. Adam's family values is still where the best Adam's family is, but still pretty good. All right. What did you, is that pretty much what you thought Zach or, Oh, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the show. I, I agree. Jenna Ortega is great. If you want a completely yeah. different performance from her this year, you should check her out in X. She's really good yep. in that, too. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, all I would say is um, it got bogged down in some silliness. I, they, they were I said a few weeks. I think these people are geniuses for this show because everybody's watching it and talking about it. Mm-hmm. it. It works best when it's a contrast between the dour uh de- almost debbie downer uh <laughs> personality of wednesday contrasted with the pe- perky peppy world around her and i thought the best scenes in the show were of wednesday and her roommate enid yep. which is sort yep. of a take on the the in in i'm's family values when uh, she's competing with amanda for you know the lead in the play and so on e- enid and wednesday had the best scenes and they were the best uh as- <laughs> aspect of the show but uh it, it was it was fine Still a fun, entertaining watch, but the uh, the real thing I've been watching was something I just ended a couple like an hour ago, which is the Banshees of oh, In the Sharon. Okay, I so see. there was some money on this. I think that I was going to hate it, or once somebody said I was going to um, love it. Uh, I'm splitting the gap here. I'm kind of like at three stars for this film. Uh, I, I I don't know. I really like the performance of Colin Farrell here. At, and Brendan Gleeson, they're kind of back and forth, the kind of rivalry and of not so friendship, I guess, anymore. Uh, then one trying to get get answers of why this uh, he's not going to be friends with him anymore. So trying to figure out th- those um, inner workings with Brendan Gleeson's character. But I realize how much of a fan I am of Barry Keegan. I kind of want to see that guy in everything because I've seen a lot of his movies this year, and I want to see more. I just think he he's just a, always fascinating when he's on screen. And uh, seeing the relationship that Colin Farrell had with his sister, Kelly Condon, I think she's probably the best part of the movie. Kelly Condon. And, uh, Kelly. Yeah. Okay. Kelly Condon. Sorry. Carrie. Uh, is it Kelly? Oh, it's Carrie. Jeez Louise. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I, I think I need glasses. It's the whiskey sour mix. 
it's probably exactly yeah. exactly it's carrie Condon. i think she's the best part of this uh this movie she brings it has a really strong character and kind of tries to keep her brother as grounded as she can and kind of has a really like strong voice but i, I thought it was really uh a really good movie i like martin mcdonough it's kind of like out of the three th- things i've seen of his uh seven psychopaths uh, three billboards oh i have seen in bruges too I probably I would I probably would prefer watching the other three movies before this one again, but it's not like I hated the movie. I just enjoyed it. It's just the other ones are just a little better in my opinion. I just said I wanted to like Banshees a little bit more, but it's it's a solid three star film for me. Let it sit. You'll like it the more you let it sit. That's a mm. yeah, it's, it's it one, just I, ended. Yeah, so. I feel I feel like it's one it's one that as at least for me, the more I let it sit, the more I, I just kind of loved it. It's the opposite for me. The more I oh, sit really? on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I only gave it three stars, too. But I don't know. I, I thought Brandon Gleason should have been the whole movie. And uh, I think if he feels that depressed about the world around him, it probably says something about the people around him. And they're not as interesting. But, but you liked it yesterday. <laughs> it's a good movie, though. It, it, it's it's definitely worth, worth watching. Yeah, it's definitely a good and it's streaming on HBO Max, so it's it's very accessible at the moment too. I, I just I had I think part of it too going in with I was like, okay, I need to watch this movie. Let's see what the guys gave it. And I was like, oh, four. Oh crap, it's gonna be something maybe I shouldn't have done that. Too. Hyped, up, just, hyped it up a little too yeah. much for you. Maybe because I yeah, so it's one of those things maybe I got there. So I think I'm gonna let it sit, marinate a little bit, and maybe I uh well I'll, I'll definitely see myself watching again because I've seen his other films multiple times too. So yeah, it's nowhere near as flashy as his other stuff, that's for sure. I think in Bruges is probably definitely my favorite, which is you know, there it's really good, but yeah, some good yeah. stuff. Uh, a lot of people said when it first came out that Banshee's Vinishiran is like a grown up in Bruges. Because it's those two again. It's a quirky relationship again, and uh, yeah, it's poor donkey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When we reviewed that movie a month or six weeks ago, I kind of when watching it, I kind of thought, all right, well, this is the best actor and best supporting actor winner this year, right? Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And now I don't think they'll win either of them. It's kind of sad. Yeah, I think Colin, Maybe Colin Farrell probably Farrell has, a has chance, a better chance. But because yeah, seems- it's going up against a, another movie we're talking about later in this episode, but uh, <coughs> it's disappointing because they're both really good performances. Mm-hmm. They are. They really are. All right, Zach, what'd you watch? Okay, what's well, that time of year, kids? We're all trying to get our best top ten lists uh, organized. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, you know, the master of pulling a foreign film out of his ass and putting it in number four is Todd. I'm really trying to usurp him this year, so I'm looking around the world for these movies that no one's ever heard of that have good reviews. Adam sometimes does it with his number ones, we all know, but I don't. I'm not that extreme. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so the one I went to is a movie that has. Uh, it, it is from New Zealand. And it is uh, currently a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it stars friend of the podcast, Thomasin McKenzie, who we've reviewed pretty much every movie she's ever made. The movie is called The Justice of Bunny King. And oh, yeah. uh, it is about uh, a woman named Bunny. And she's played by Essie Davis. And you might remember her as the lead actress in uh, The Babadook. And uh, in this movie, I think it takes place in like Auckland. 
she is uh, basically on her last ropes. Uh, she has young kids, but they've been taken away by uh, protective services. She's basically a squeegee person, you know, like the kind on in 25th hour that Edward Norton is saying to get away from his car. Uh, she's really pretty down and out. She lives with her uh, siblings or in-laws or so, some kind of vague relationship. And the movie's basically about how eventually she teams up with her niece, played by Thomas and McKenzie. And her name in this movie, the, the, Thomas and McKenzie's character name is Tanya, spelled T-O-N-Y-A-H. So it's a New Zealand movie. Um, anyway, they uh, they conspire to try to find her kids and make them uh, go back to their mother. And then it kind of turns into a crazy, you know, dog day afternoon, John Q situation toward the end. Uh, not a great movie, um, a bit over the top. It, it, it To me, the first 30 minutes of the movie are kind of like stark kitchen sink Ken Roach realism. And I like that. But then the movie veered pretty aggressively toward melodrama. And then by the end, when you get this kind of ridiculous hostage situation, again, it just kind of feels, feels like John Q. So I think they had something going. Didn't quite get there for me. Thomas and McKenzie is great and everything, but uh, this is a two and a half star movie. Will not be on my top 10 list. Seth. Darn it. All right. 95% right. of Rotten Tomatoes, though. That's pretty impressive. That is impressive. That is. <clears throat> All right. On to mine. My Oscar watch uh, for last week. I have one more to go for 2022 that I'll watch this week. But for last week, my watch. All right. Goes back 30 years, so 1992, a lone Best Supporting Actor nomination. Mr. Saturday Night. Mr. Saturday Night. Yes, David Pamer. David Pamer. David Pamer had a Supporting Actor nomination for this. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Saturday Night it is directed by Billy Crystal, written by Billy Crystal, Lowell Gans, and Babalu Mandel. Uh, it is, and it stars Billy Crystal and David Paymer as uh, Billy Crystal plays Buddy Young Jr., a comic legend that uh, it kind of shows his rise and fall. And I, I think a great way to uh, to describe it is the the tagline on the poster. It says, "It's lonely at the middle," because he's a he's a comic who ha has some success but doesn't have huge success. But he never really is down and out either. It's a good nickname for our podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's some he's somewhere in between the whole time. Uh David Paymer plays his brother, uh Stan, who is uh who is his manager, was potentially gonna be part of the act, but ends up just his manager, and it tells kind of the whole story of their of their lives together. Uh you have some fun little throw-in parts from uh Helen Hunt and Jerry Orbach, Ron Silver is in it. Uh, but really, it's mainly Billy Crystal and David Paymer the whole time. Uh, I think if this movie got the recognition enough to get David Paymer a nomination, it's criminal that Billy Crystal did not get into the best actor conversation because this is the role Billy Crystal was born to play. Uh, it, it He gives a, a this is Billy Crystal to a T like th this. He wrote it. So it's tailor made for him. And uh, I absolutely love this movie. It, it has everything that you would want out of an early 90s movie, which are, is kind of my speed. Uh, I love movies around this time. I was just looking at some of the other movies these guys wrote, like Baba, Babalu Mandel, because it was a fun oh, man. Yeah. I, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff, especially <laughs> the early 90s. Ron Howard stuff. And, and he was one of the screenplay writers on a league of their own. So uh, it, it kind of has the sense. right sensibilities for what I like. 
uh i i ate this movie up i loved it i loved the sense of humor it had uh it had it had some quick witty fast-paced stuff uh he's kind of an insult comic and but it really works because it's coming from billy crystal uh and like i said he was born to play this role which is shown by the fact that he is currently on broadway right now uh starring in an adaptation to the stage of mr saturday night like he's playing it now he's just playing like half the movie he spends in makeup as an old guy and he's playing the old version of himself uh and that's just kind of the whole show now and it's on stage he this is his this is his role uh i i loved it four star movie it's it's an awesome awesome movie uh and it's it's a terry movie i doubt either of you would would be that um adam might be but zach would not be near as high on it it's way (laughs) too cold yeah it's way too sentimental for for zach to like it but yeah i loved it mr saturday night you should check it out does it appear on your 1992 top 10 yeah it's in my top five i think of 992 now so there we go we should have deep dove it I didn't watch it till right now. I guess that's true. Well, we have we have six days or five days left. So yeah, there, there we go. There we go. All right. Never well, seen it. You've never seen it. It's never seen it either. It's on my list. Is it easy to find? Unlike uh, Left Field, I had to get it. Uh, I had to uh, get the DVD from the library. That's how I found it. Mm. I, I I think I could have rented it. Uh, rent rented it on the streaming services, but I got it from the library, so I didn't. So. One more to go, and then we're off to off to the 2023 list of Oscar watches. So, all right, let's get moving into our featured reviews. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. We have oh, three wait. of them to talk about. This is the, so. This is going to be a lot of discussion and probably a lot of really good discussion as we go through these different movies. Uh, But the first one we are going to talk about is the big release, the big Christmas release of uh, that bombed, like completely (laughs) bombed, which is part of the conversation with this movie. Uh, We are talking about Damien Chazelle's Babylon. What about you? Sorry? If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. I love that answer. Something that lasts, that means something. Something yes. more important than life. Yes. It's written in the stars. I am a star. If I had money, I would only spend it on things that were fun, you know? Not boring things like taxes. I'm just one for everyone to party forever. I first moved to LA, signs on all the doors said, no actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. And now, y'all ready for something different? Whoa! You know what we have to do? We have to redefine the form map those dreams and print them into history look up and say eureka i am not alone (laughs) 
so much trouble, Manny. We have to leave now. What I do means something. You thought this town needed you. It's bigger than you. What the fuck? It's the most magical place in the world. Let's see how this goes. Uh, Zach, you're going to talk about this first. Tell us all about what uh, Babylon is and what you thought. All right. Well, Babylon is the story of uh, essentially, uh, I think, six or seven years in the middle of a crucial part of Hollywood's history, which was the transition from silent films to talkies. It begins in 1926, goes about till 1932 or 33. And uh, the movie stars Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, uh, Diego Calva. Uh, Gene Smart, big cast, um, and basically, um, Damien Chazelle creates a sort of tapestry of different people uh, whose fame, who shot to fame during this period. Uh, they are fictional characters, but they're loosely based on real life actors and directors and stunt people in Hollywood. Um, a lot of people have been talking about the first thirty minutes of this movie, which is a pretty much a the it's the um, what do we want to say? It's like the Saving Private Ryan of orgy scenes. It's it's a pretty epic way to open the movie. <laughs> um, it probably turns off a lot of people too. Uh, That's and a great way to put it. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's the pissing or the shitting or both, uh, but it's there's a lot. So uh, you got to stomach the first thirty minutes, I guess. Um, but uh, the movie then kind of shows, you know, the multi productions, multiple productions happening at the same time. Uh, in on a studio lot, which was kind of cool, but it's just I don't know. Uh, they Chazelle looks at uh, the transition to sound, but also how it affects these people, these characters. Um, and it all kind of wraps up as a love letter to cinema, which we haven't seen at all this year in any movie. Um, so I really like Damien Chazelle, I was not as big on La La Land as other people, uh, but which is ironic because that was the film he got his Oscar for. But uh, First Man was in my top 10 of the decade last decade, and of course, everyone loves Whiplash. I think it's like Adam's number, it's in Adam's top list somewhere. Um, and uh, I gotta say, it was a reminder, uh, watching this movie that Damien Chazelle is a great director. Uh, this movie's not getting a lot of great reviews, and of course, there's been speculation about why, uh, first of all, it tanked at the box office this week and why it was embargoed for critics. And this huge hundred million dollar but budget movie, uh, that is three hours and just unkempt and crazy and all over the place. Uh, I gotta say, I, I loved it, uh, I thought it was a fantastic owed to old Hollywood in a way that was um, not flattering, not sentimental. I think what was fascinating about it, I've watched a lot of movies about old Hollywood. One thing that I think really stands out in this movie is just how dangerous the filming was, um, how you know people were getting speared on set. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. And everybody kind of likes it. You know, they get fueled at night with their drugs, but the adrenaline also fuels them through the daytime. And it's kind of a fascinating portrait, less about like the films and the filmmaking style as much as it is just about the lifestyle that these people had. I mean, they're kind of like it was a little bit reminiscent of like Top Gun or like the Hurt Locker, like they're adrenaline junkies. That 
is a fascinating side of the silent era that I've never seen depicted in a movie. And I thought this movie did a great job of it. Also showing the transition to sound. I mean, a lot of people are, are talking about the, the, the scene in the movie, one of the centerpieces of the movie, which is Margot Robbie trying to use microphones uh, in, in a scene uh, for a movie that she's shooting. Uh, it's a fabulous sort of deconstruction of how hard um, and how, you know, really um, uh, damaging uh, new technology could be at those in those times. Um, the movie is sweeping. It is ungainly. It's probably too long. There's probably too many characters in it, but I was absolutely swept up in it. And I believe that this movie and Tar will go down as the only true great masterpieces of 2022. This is a movie that is is go going to be misunderstood and misread by critics for a long time. People are, are going to think it's just Damien Chazelle's ego and self-flagellation. It's really not. It's about how the film industry time and time again has faced technological challenges like the ones that we're facing today with streaming and um, maybe not always overcome them, but adapted to them because uh, people are in love with movies. People like Damien Chazelle are consumed <laughs> by movies. And uh, bravo, just from start to finish, this was an amazing film. Little quibbles aside, I don't even really want to talk about them. The scope of it, the ambition of it is so laudable in this era of, of you know, films that are very, you know, centered on one thing or, or if they're not, they're all special effects. This was a brilliant mixture of both of them. Uh, this is a four-star movie. It's one of the best movies of the year. Wow. Wow. That All is, right. yeah. So, uh, so Adam and I actually got to watch this movie together yesterday. Uh, and walking out of it, uh, my comment was, Zach's going to hate this. Yeah, so Cassie I'm glad... and I had the same, similar, similar, I, similar conversations. I'm glad that it is, <clears throat> it is the opposite there. Adam, why don't you go next? What do you think of this one? All right. Um, Todd texted me um, what my opinion on uh, the movie was. And before I really say it, I thought <laughs> Wait, he texted you what your opinion was. Yeah. He asked me how I thought of the movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I thought, he I, I like, thought, I thought he, his text was Adam, this, this is what you're going to think you of thought. this movie. Right. <laughs> and he hasn't even seen it yet. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, so I thought the funniest, one of the funniest line of dialogues happens in the, uh, the opening with the, uh, uh, Margot Robbie saying that this is how it's supposed to be seen and in, in front of uh, a lot of people. There was like 12 people in the, the audience. I think that was so, so funny. We both kind of snickered at that at that moment. It was, it was <laughs> stupid. But uh, so back to what Todd asked me about what I thought about it. And I, 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 I thought about it for a second. It's like, how do I put this? And I said, Babylon takes you on a journey in a chaotic way through the darker sides of Hollywood. That's not pleasant. It's kind of the opposite of what, what once upon a time in Hollywood is. Uh, and it is kind of a mixture of sunset Boulevard with the film energy of Wolf of wall street meets crank. I think it's kind of like uh, such an interesting uh, depiction of it because it, it, it j does jump all over the place and has these crazy uh, set pieces here that is an absolute blast to kind of watch. And I definitely laughed a lot more than I thought. And I think this movie is a testament of why movie trailers are kind of the worst. It builds up your expectations in your head when you watch them and you're kind of left disappointed. I There's a lot of movies this year that probably be on my top 10 that I didn't see a single trailer for. And I think that uh, not watching one for Babylon really kind, kind of a, uh, made me enjoy this movie even more because I didn't know what to expect. I have since watched the trailer and 
it probably would have hyped me up and I probably wouldn't have liked it possibly. But, but the trailer uh, doesn't one, really say anything. Like I went back does, and watched the trailer just, too. And yeah. it, it, it just kind of gives you a feel for the vibe, especially of those opening 30 minutes. But yeah. 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 And I think that there are certain elements in this movie that are really fascinating. You brought up the, uh, the whole, the transition from sound to talkies with that one scene with Margot Robbie. I thought that was an absolute hair, uh, hilarious, uh, but also really kind of probably true element of what actually kind of what happened at those times. And there's elements of an Adam movie here, the Tobey Maguire stuff, that whole dark sequences. I was like, I was getting, I was getting barbarian vibes to be honest with you. I was like really, uh, uh, I was getting really excited during those moments and uh, Samara weavings in it. So, you know, Adam's going to like it. I have a really kind of obsession with anything that she's in. Uh, this is also a four star film for me too. Uh, it is uh, fascinating. It is, it's great. Even during the slower parts, it's, it's just a fun depiction. And I, one of the things I did say too, is like, it makes me want to go back and watch the background. I don't care about the main character. I want to see what's happening behind the scenes. And I think David Chazelle does a really good job. And I, I really like a lot of his movies. And I'm looking forward to going back and watch First Man this year because it's celebrating its five-year anniversary next year. Oh, wow. So I need to go back and rewatch that. Because that's the one movie that I wasn't as fond of as you guys. I want to do a rewatch. I think it's, a, a, it's worth it. And also, there was something else I was going to say. Um, I, oh, yeah. Man, if Avatar didn't come out this year, do you think that Avatar sequence would have been in the movie? That's yes, the little love. You think it's it, still it, been in there? Okay, I was, that was the one thing I originally said to Terry. I was like, huh. but really cool. I, I really love the uh, the seizure warnings that we got at that that last <laughs> love letter at the end. So pretty cool. I, I really like this movie a lot. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm probably the lowest on it so far. I I was right on the three three and a half range i'm getting i'm going three and a half uh at, when i left the, the my best comment for it is that is a whole lot of movie yeah because uh, yeah. it takes you on one crazy ride for the over three hours you're watching it i it was too long um but at the same time it did it did so much in there and it told such a crazy story i think everyone that hates it can't get past the first 30 minutes um, I, I thought the transition out of the first 30 minutes and as it started to make that transition into talkies, it it felt awkward. But at the same time, as you as you settle into it, it's like this is supposed to be awkward because it was awkward. And what before, I love yeah. about this movie is how it not only like we've seen movies that that are like, what what's the transition to talkies like? Right. We've seen singing in the rain. We've seen the artist. We've seen movies that do this. But what this really captures is how the entire culture of Hollywood shifted when when this shifted. Like, like, I think one of the lines it throws in there is uh, we care about morality now. Um, we care about the morals now. And that's something that that wasn't the case before. And so I, I that was an interesting an interesting turn. Um, I I thought the performances were great. Uh, I thought Brad Pitt in the he's not getting any love for this but my yeah, word surprising. is he good in this movie um and deserves a nomination as much for this as he did for anything else that he's done he's like some weird mix of cliff cliff booth from once upon a time in hollywood and uh aldo rain from uh from inglorious <laughs> bastards like somewhere like if you smash those two together you get you get his uh his character here um uh, I, yeah, it, it, 
there's so much going on and and like you said you can tell that damien chazelle is a master filmmaker and you're right if you just go back and watch the background of this movie and see everything that's going on that you don't notice it shows just how good he is and how he worked so hard to build this uh it's a shame that it's bombing and i feel like part of why it's bombing is because people are trying to it, it's a popular thing to crap on this movie right now so everyone is doing it uh but if you actually take it for its merit it's it is a really great movie that has a lot of stuff going on in it uh is does it have some some problems yeah is it messy yeah but it's supposed to be messy um and uh yeah the uh one i saw a tweet today that uh summed up what i was thinking because i was it was impossible to like comprehend what i was trying to to articulate about this movie to anybody everyone's asking how what do you think of like <laughs> it's it, it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> it is a wild ride but um on twitter brian Rowe is a is a someone on film twitter i follow and he he has a lot of great great takes but he wrote something i guess it was last night he wrote this and i thought if it summed up my thoughts perfectly he said babylon is a sprawling messy wildly entertaining gem about early hollywood the first two hours is top 10 of the year, vibrant and ambitious. The last hour is less successful with a masturbatory final scene, but the film's terrific. Robbie's is insanely good and Calva is a fine. And I thought that that kind of summed it up like the, the ending. Yeah, just, it tried to end it. It had no idea what it, how it wanted to end. And it felt like it needed to end like five other times along the way, but it just kept going. Um, like I would have been fine if it ended with like, you know, the walk into the, the walk out, out of frame out of the out of the light uh the street light like if it ended there i think it would have been perfect um but it 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 just kept going and it kept adding on like i said three and a half for me uh the more i'm thinking about it the more i'm i'm really it is it was a massive swing like the biggest swing damon chazelle has had which is considering all of his other work like la la land was a huge swing. First man was a huge swing, and Babylon is too. A stick man with all these swings. This is a movie of stick men. I mean, can you imagine the stick man award goes to? Can you to? imagine that list if we ever deep dive this thing? It would be uh, the stick man list. Long and distinguished. Long and distinguished. Exactly. That's where I was going for. Uh, but yeah, three and a half for me. Well, I, I disagree with you about the ending. I, first of all, I like the ending. I think the ending is also something that gets misunderstood. I don't think it's a love letter to movies. I think it's sort of like how movies have overcome technological challenges. Like if you look closely at the ending, it's like those are all movies that came out. It's not It's not a random list. It's like a, these movies yeah. like had some kind of especially yeah. technical impact. I thought that the only one that was really missing was the Star Wars uh, aspect. Oh, of well, it thank you, practical. Adam. That was, that was the Adam uh, critique. And, <laughs> Also, the Ernest <laughs> Saves Christmas clip was missing too. But I would also okay, say, I'll you know, uh, <laughs> sorry, I disagree. I think it would have, it, I wouldn't, I didn't like, I wouldn't have liked the ending to be there because then the movie is about the uh, Margot Robbie and her tragic downfall. And the movie is so much more than that. The movie is about all these people. I mean, we haven't even talked about uh, uh, Jovan uh, Depo's character, Sidney Palmer, kind of loosely based a little bit on Duke Ellington. I mean, he's a fascinating thread yes, that, in the movie. That, yeah. Um, we haven't really talked about Diego Calva, who kind of goes from being this nobody with this um, non-professional and then kind of through just osmosis and being at the right place at the right time really rises up the, the ranks of Hollywood and becomes a producer by the end of it. 
the uh, uh, Lady Faye uh, character was really great too. She's sort of like a Marlene Dietrich type character. I mean, what what I love about it is that, like, you know, if if you were going to make a criticism of La La Land, one of them is that the movie is so centralized on these two kind of relatively privileged white people that it overlooks the history of jazz. Well, this movie has no center. It's all these characters. I mean, that was something that was surprising to me. Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie are kind of supporting, especially Brad Pitt, maybe more so than Margot Robbie. But I love that he widened the scope of it. And again, movies just, they, movies say don't have this kind of scope and ambition. And I applaud Damien Chazelle for having it. I, I think I think he gets a lot of the historical aspects of it really right. And even if you don't like the movie, there's still some fun things to talk about. Like, I think a lot of the critics who are, who are dissing on it are kind of like with you, Terry. They want to kind of talk about why they don't like it. And, if, and, and, and they have to kind of confess it's actually sort of fun to talk about why they don't like it, which means it's probably secretly a good movie. I can see that. I mean, honestly, yeah. as I was talking about it, I was, I was thinking, man, th this is probably better than I'm giving it credit for. Because you you can tell Damien Chazelle is a master filmmaker, and yeah. you can tell in every in, in how he laced all of this together, um, it, it is, and he is, and it is a it's a masterclass in how to tell a story like this. But at the same time, it's it is so much like like you said, everyone else, everyone's kind of supporting in it because the main character is Hollywood, mm -hmm. and that's hard to do, and. Mm. Uh, and it's and it, it feels like a lot of what a lot of uh, a lot of these filmmakers are doing like i mean we're like you said we're seeing all these you know ode to cinema nostalgia pieces this year because it's all of it's everyone's like this is what they worked on during covid when they were closed inside and had nothing to do and everyone's trying to make these movies where where uh the the main character is an idea or it's a culture or it's a place instead of it being characters. And I think this is another great example of that. It is probably the most ambitious example of that. Uh, but it definitely is that. I One other thing I will say, when Tobey Maguire showed up, I'm like, this is Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights. That That's who his character reminded mm. me of. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, where are we now? <laughs> Yeah, even though I like those scenes, that is maybe my one my biggest criticism of the movie is that it's for, well. First of all, the movie is so self consciously like shot for shot almost at times, remaking like Singing in the Rain. I mean, there's sequences yeah. taken straight out of Singing in the Rain. It's impossible to not notice those. But by the time we get to that sequence, that one is not as nakedly obvious about uh, the Alfred Molina character, but it is so similar to that storyline that I thought, uh, did we really need? Did we need to? Did we need to rehash? you know, Dirk and uh, Todd and all those people at Alfred Molina's house. I don't think we needed it. Well, and, and I mean, he, what he does in all of his movies is he, he brings back all these, he, he borrows from everything from the past. And I mean, we saw it. La La Land was, was so much inspired by umbrellas of Cherbourg. Right. Uh, and yeah, Babylon is so inspired by singing in the rain to the fact that he has to tell you, that it's inspired by singing in the rain at the end of it, <laughs> or basically saying singing in the rain is inspired by the story he just told. Um, yeah. Yeah. I used to acknowledge those, those uh, uses. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Adam, go ahead. No, uh, talk about first time watches. I got to make singing in the rain happen next year. Never seen it. Dude. 
So that's I, I like that. Just like when the Joker came out, when they went in and saw Modern Times, I went out and sought out the Charlie Chaplin film from that movie. And I think that watching Babylon and really made me want to go watch the jazz singer and also um, singing in the rain, because I feel like those two, I maybe I would enjoy Babylon even more knowing that a little extra little oh, get yeah. a little extra piece of it. So think, knowing how too. much of an homage it is. Yeah, is, I got it's I have to make it happen. Is is worth it for sure. Yeah. Well, and and, and I mean if as an artist, the artist basically yeah. is a is a remake of Singing in the Rain too, just in mm-hmm. as in a silent form. Oh. Yeah, well, and that's one of the interesting things to me about this movie too is, you know, thinking about all the movies that have come out about Hollywood history, especially ones in the last 10 years. And like this movie is nostalgic, but I don't think it's steeped in nostalgia the same way that that the artist is. And I think one of the quiet things about this movie that gives it its sort of rawness is that, you know, Damien Chazelle has an elephant shit on the camera in the first five minutes. Like this movie is so vulgar and so hedonistic and there's so much shit thrown at the camera literally that it will never be mistaken for a piece of like romanticism or sentimentality. Like it is raw and visceral and it smells awful and looks awful. Like it's it's just darker side of Hollywood. It's the darker side of Hollywood. And and there's not a lot of movies in this era where everybody's so nostalgic that really want to tackle things like that. I'm not saying this is the hardest hitting movie, but it's, it's way more visceral and raw than a lot of these other uh, love letters. Well, what's fascinating is it's the darker side of Hollywood that every character in this is nostalgic for. And I, I think that that's fascinating, too, because I, that's one of yeah. the biggest things that that is in that turn is when the culture shifts, everyone is like, well, can we just go back to the way things were? Not not even in that, not even in the, you know, in the Don Lockwood way of I, I want to make my silent movies again. It, it's in it's in the I want to live that lifestyle again. That's where I thrive. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing I want to add about the last scene, which, again, has been much derided is like. If you notice, this only occurred to me like a few days after seeing because I can't stop thinking about this movie. I'm in love with it. Also, the music, by the way, we didn't even mention oh, it. It's been oh on my, God. it's been playing on my yeah. phone like constantly. Yeah, it, it's, it's a great soundtrack. But um, yeah, Justin Hurwitz. Uh, but what I was going to say is, if you look closely, I think the the camera movement in the last scene is identical to the camera movement in the first scene. I don't think it's on accident. I think there's like symbolism oh. behind that. And I again, like you look at it and you just think, oh, it's just just a sentimental ending. Not really. I think he's trying to say something about the nature of who the movies were for and who could really party with these movie stars. At one point, it was very elite. But then by the last scene, it's like the the joy is so spread because it's become such an ingrained part of our culture that to me, it's it's a hopeful ending. Also, I guess, a nostalgic ending, but a really complex one, if you think about it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just thinking about it too much. Uh, that that makes sense that's that actually pretty cool one last thing for me uh, after that big 30 40 minute intro the lady behind us said okay now i go to nap i take a nap now totally she totally <laughs> did she's like all right I'm, I'm taking a nap. like when the title card came up a half hour into the movie she's like all right i'm taking a nap where did where did you guys sit and who decided on the seats uh adam decided it, it was middle 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 um and uh yeah yeah was that a regal or did it was get... at a regal? Yeah, okay. close to regal. Todd's place. Yeah, and, yeah, it was close, close to where Todd <laughs> lived, but Todd couldn't come. Uh, he was too busy seeing Avatar somewhere else with the girlfriend. But uh, yeah, it was me, Adam, and uh, and Cassie, and Cassie absolutely loved it too. She yeah, that's it what she amazing. said. She's, 
we were like, Zach's going to nitpick the shit out of this, but I'm happy you didn't. And it's a, it's absolutely I, I, not. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's great. I, I, that's why I was had a smile on my face in your time. Like, well, now, now that oh, you talk good. about it, it makes sense because it totally de-romanticizes Hollywood history. And for you being such a such a lover of of just cinema in general, to have something de-romanticize it and de-sentimentalize it while still being somewhat sentimental at the same respectful time. Respectful to it, yeah. And respectful to it, yeah. I, I could totally see why you'd be into that. Yeah, my only other flaw with the movie is that Cocaine Bear was not invited to the party in the first three. Oh, yeah, I know, right? So, no, no, but that, like that totally, was an oversight. We totally could have had a cocaine elephant, though. I mean, that was... Oh, true. dude. We were, we were really close in the back to that. corner. Hell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, I cannot well, wait to Merlot this later this year. Or in a couple weeks. <laughs> All right. Well, that is Babylon. Go see it in the movie at in the theaters. I mean, yeah, this is too. this is one of the things it it bombed yeah, hardcore yeah. opening weekend. It was like three fourth million and fifth made three million dollars. It it's it's not good for eighty. We, yeah, it's we need we need movies like this. We need studios to back original content like this. And this that's what all the discourse has been these last couple of days. Is look at Avatar. Still made eighty million in its second weekend, and Babylon made three. Yeah, so we're getting... and, and even if you don't like it, it's fun to shit on, right? It's yeah. like it's not some dumb, lame, you know, milk toast like who cares movie. It's a movie that has the Dirk Diggler swinging for the fences, big dick energy, and you know, it's like a Shyamalan movie. You either love it or you say this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. Literally, your yeah, your money cool. is it's it's worth the price of admission for that first forty five minutes. I think that was just like the craziest opening ever. <laughs> it's, it's great. Yeah. It, it totally is. All right. Well, that is Babylon. Uh, like I said, go see it in theaters while it's still there. It needs to be seen and it needs to be supported. Is this kind of Chazelle's second like box office bomb because first, first man, man did yeah. not do well either. All right. Let's move on. Our second featured review is looking at one of the more anticipated movies of the year. Uh, if Babylon wasn't Babylon was number one on my list when we did that a few months back, but now we're talking about a movie just hit Netflix this weekend. Uh, it, it was in theaters for a week, about a month ago. It is the sequel to the fabulous knives out. We're talking about glass onion, a knives out history or history, mystery, a knives out mystery. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. You expected the mystery. Get your hand off of that. You expected a puzzle. But for one person on this island, this is not a game. Will you explain it to us then, detective? Holy Really, Duke? Oh my God! Really? Lock the doors. Stay in your rooms. Everyone is in danger. All right. When's the murder mystery start? 
saw I saw an article saying that Ryan Johnson hated the fact that they added a Knives Out mystery to the end of this. He's like, Knives Out should not have been in this title at all. It just needed to be Glass Onion. Just leave it alone. But that the you know the studios are afraid. Well, if we don't say it's related to Knives Out, no one's going to know that it is you know a, a sequel to that. Which it kind of isn't. It kind of isn't because there's really only one character that is that comes back. So this is again written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, and we bring back Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, who is the the master detective that we meet in Knives Out. And now he is uh, looking for a new uh, a new adventure, a new mystery. And he finds himself mysteriously invited to this party on a remote Greek island by this multi-billion dollar uh, businessman. Miles Braun, played by Edward Norton, and he's invited with his cast of of characters and his friend group, uh, Bertie J, played by Kate Hudson, Duke Cody, played by Dave Bautista, uh, Claire DeBella, played by Catherine Hahn, Lionel Toussaint, played by Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, you also have uh, Peg, uh, who is uh, Bertie's assistant, played by Jessica Henwick. You have Whiskey, who is a couple of their uh pieces on the side played by madeline klein <laughs> and you have uh and you have andy played by janelle monet who is his former business partner and so uh benoit blanc is mysteriously invited and shows up and finds out that they're going to do a murder mystery game throughout the weekend and things start to go a little sideways uh you have all these characters are uh, part of different parts of society in different ways. You've got uh, social media influences. You have models. You have scientists. You have politicians. You have all these things, and all how they're all connected is they're all connected through Miles, and uh, and one of them dies during the murder mystery game, and now it becomes a real murder mystery, and which is uh, where Benoit Blanc excels. Uh, this movie is so much fun. I mean, Ryan Johnson knows how to write these, write these movies, uh, these ode to Agatha Christie films. Uh, Benoit Blanc is uh, the 21st century Hercule Poirot, who Kenneth Branagh is trying to bring back, but he should really just stop because Ryan Johnson's doing it so much better. better yeah. um, so uh, he, and this movie, I, I saw a lot of death on the Nile in this movie, like that, that storyline of, of the, the detective, being invited along because of some potentially mysterious stuff going on. Uh, There's a lot of that. I felt like this was like a mix between death on the Nile and bodies, 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 where you you're, you're playing a game and all of a sudden the game starts to become real. That's what you kind of felt like in this. Uh, it is, it is a lot of twists and turns. You have a full flashback sequence about halfway through that, that takes you back and takes you out of the action of what's going on for a little while, but it makes everything that that's happened so far makes sense. Uh, it, it's like I said, it's a, it's a wild ride. It's a fun ride. I love murder mystery stories and he is, uh, Ryan Johnson has kind of mastered it. He said he will make them as long as Daniel Craig will star in them. And Daniel Craig has said he will star in them as long as Ryan Johnson invites him to. So I think we're going to be getting more Benoit Blanc. And as long as they're up to what knives out and glass onion have been, I think it's worth it. Uh, it, it's a, it's a three and a half star movie. It is uh, it is so much fun. I love how he can build these characters. Uh, the one thing I would say potentially with this is 
he's having so much fun with this, but he is such an original artist that I wish I, we could see something else from him. Uh, and I hope he doesn't get so obsessed with, with Benoit Blanc murder mysteries that this is all we see from him for the next decade. But uh, as long as they're up to this quality, keep making them three and a half stars for me. Wasn't that also kind of the, the criticism of Daniel Craig too? Why do we only see you in James Bond films? Maybe do something. Right. Yeah. That's why I cast him in my, uh, as Billy Mack in my love actually remake last week. So <laughs> true. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's go to, let's go to Zach next. What'd you think of glass onion? Uh, I guess I'll just get straight to the point. It didn't quite get there for me. Uh, uh, I was I, I was a fan of the first one. I put it in my top 10 list of 2019. Really fun movie. I like <laughs> Ryan Johnson. This movie, though, I mean, just from the outset, it didn't feel quite the same sort of charm as the original. It, it definitely felt like a sequel. It felt like what was in the first movie kind of a fun, almost you know smaller, kind of character-driven piece about this uh, you know, wealthy but not extraordinary family um, has turned into something that is overblown and overdone and overproduced. And um, it almost felt like in the first 10 minutes, like a reality show or something like that. It just totally was so different from the first movie. Um, and I guess that's sort of the biggest kind of takeaway from this movie is that Ryan Johnson, uh, you're right, uh, is obsessed with not doing the Kenneth Branagh, you know, death on the Nile formula where it's just a who done it about who in the who in the room killed the person who's dead on the ground um, to his credit. You know, he's trying something more ambitious and different. But with this movie, it, it, it just got ridiculous. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago when I saw the outfit, one of my criticisms of that movie is that there was a revelation every 10 minutes. In this movie, there's like a revelation every eight minutes, it feels like. Uh, and it, it's so much so that it gets to the sense of like nothing can really be believed to begin with. I like that the movie pulls sort of an Oscar Farhadi and re, you know, uh, basically reorients the audience the first 30 minutes from a different perspective. But overall, I just, I don't know, the story in this one was fairly contrived. Uh, I don't know how, how spoiler, spoilery we really want to get, but I will say that the plot eventually sort of had an unseemly resemblance to Expendables 3, uh, which is not a, not a compliment. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it didn't, it didn't really hit for me. The stuff with the COVID gags, I it just kind of, again, at this point kind of feels a little bit worn. It's set during COVID for no apparent reason. Um, there's a great piece of artwork that's spotlight spotlit in this movie. And, uh, if you don't know, um, if you don't foresee in the moment that it's introduced, how that piece of artwork is going to end up at, by the end of the movie, then you haven't seen movies. Um, I like Edward Norton as sort of the Elon Musk prototype, and I like the cast, but you know, it's it's all too friendly. Everybody loves Dave Bautista, everybody loves Janelle Monet, everybody loves Kate Hudson. It, it's like it's it's literally like watching a celebrity special. It really feels like it at times. And of course, they're meant to be celebrities, I guess, but I kind of miss the witty banter and the sort of clever, you know, character uh, uh character development of the first knives out, which again wasn't so much about who did it, but why. And uh, what exactly happened? This movie, it's not even the right murder. I mean, it's really swinging for the fences. I guess that's a theme uh, that's in this episode. Um, two, two and a half stars. I don't know. I kind of got bored by it. I, I think Knives Out is still better, but I, I wouldn't put this one far behind it. Uh, I, I feel like almost if, if we had seen Glass Onion before Knives Out, then I think we'd be, you, you'd think the same or you'd be thinking glass onion was the better one. I, I feel like it, it's just kind of getting the, the, the sophomore slump version of, of this, but uh, Adam, where are you at with this? 
All right. So glass onion. Uh, I am more on Terry's side. I think I already said my review into, I, I think I had said it was three and a half as well. Uh, however, it's one of those movies I haven't really thought about as much because I saw two other movies, <laughs> Babylon being one of them. And I can't stop thinking about those ones. So maybe that's a testament maybe to which one has more staying power in my mind or how powerful the other two movies may be. Uh, but I, I really like uh, Daniel Craig here. I think we've already said that enough, but the uh, sporting cast, uh, it's still fun for me. I don't think we don't get as big meme worthy a character as Chris Evans was in the first film with uh, a bunch of his fun eccentric uh, natures there. Cause I think that was a definitely ch- out of character uh, per- persona that he was playing. But uh, I, I like David Batista again. I thought that he was all, um, just great in everything. It seems like that he's in. Um, I think it's a really weird that we get like a Trump uh, Dalton Trumbo, like version of Blanc at the, like the first, like his first intro into the thing he's and isn't that the weirdest, like uh video game like reference ever like he they have a like some kind of companion with among us they have like this knives out or glass onion among us downloadable game now too and shout out to all the cameos my word like he's playing among us with natasha leone angela lansbury the late angela lansbury the late steven sondheim and kareem abdul jabbar Oh, that was that was steven sondheim i thought it was steve martin at first it was like steve (laughs) <laughs> couldn't recognize it and then you you throw in ethan hawk you throw in hugh grant you throw in uh Venus serena Williams. williams, williams. You throw, yeah. there's it's a ridiculous who's who of cameos but continue yeah so i thought that also all the cameos were rather fun too and um uh, yeah uh, yeah knives out or glass onion rather it's uh it's weird not to say the knives out part i i'm i'm on board for this because i think i saw death denial i saw see how they run and Compa- if we're comparing mystery films by far this one's the better one i i feel like um i feel like having this unique take that is not such a f- kind of a same style of mystery that we've seen from agatha, agatha christie novels this is it's a good kind of change of pace for the genre uh i'm interested i think they missed opportunity they should have changed his accent i'm really thinking that they should have changed daniel craig's accent oh, come on with, with no explanation why just have a different <laughs> oh like a, that's right that was yeah. the original idea right that was <laughs> that a great was, idea that's right yeah just change his accent okay, with right. no no reasoning why uh but i i do th- yeah the COVID thing i thought that was kind of kind of random like we're still there um but overall it's still a kind of a fun uh still fun mystery i thought the uh the 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 dock that they the the reason why the police couldn't come was because the dock had to be on low tide i thought that was just kind of like oh that's a show shit (laughs) prolongs prolongs the inevitable but uh uh, but yeah, it, it's it's still a rather fun movie that, and it's it's on Netflix, so I could, I can watch it again. I just it's one of those films that I I've kind of not necessarily forgotten, but I just I, other movie it's I just have that kind of like thinking power after I've already seen it type of thing. I don't know how to best to put that, but still an entertaining movie. But maybe it's maybe it's a three star movie, but I'm I'm still gonna say three and a half. So, still yeah, entertaining. I, I see what you're saying. There's there's a few things that that this is missing from the first one. I think it's because it had a little bit more of a budget. I mean, it's mm-hmm. missing. That's, that's always what happens with sequels, really. Yeah. It's, mi- it's missing your, your against type Chris Evans type yeah. character. It's missing your discovery of Ana de Armas. I mean, the, it, it is knives out that 
that made her blow up. And well, she was about of, to be in a bunch of other stuff too. But think about her. how expensive the last scene of this movie is. They would have never been able to do something like that in the first movie. True. Right. True. Or yeah. it's it's just not it's also not on brand either. The first movie just tonally was just different. You know, I realize in my critique, I mean, to me, this movie's a little bit similar to like Barbarian in a way, because Barbarian I also originally gave two and a half stars for, but I want to give it props for being something different. I mean, thank I didn't want to watch Death on the Nile, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that that he's doing something different. But then I also thought a little bit about a movie that Terry just mentioned, and I had not thought about this before, but Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is an interesting comparison. That actually and is. I think I actually like that movie a little bit more because even though it's using a conventional storyline, the characters are more interesting. These characters oh, are not yeah. as interesting. This is like a polished version of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. If, if, if you threw... Perot into the Hercule Perot into the middle oh, of it. Not Ross Perot. Not Ross Perot. <laughs> no. I'll be interested to see how uh, Terry can bring in Barbarian into the whale conversation because all three of us, <laughs> all two of us, have done it so far. Challenge uh, <laughs> accepted to you there, Terry. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we'll we'll see what we can do. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So we've got two and a half from Zach, three and a half from Adam and I. Where's Todd gonna land on this? Can we do our Todd predictions for these movies? As we yeah, I think Todd's gonna Todd's gonna give Babylon two or two and a half. Yeah, uh, the Eric Roberts Babylon. though. Oh, I yeah, yeah the true. Eric Roberts factor might <laughs> and the Spike Jones factor. Yeah, oh, yeah, true, true. Yeah, he'd probably be he'll probably be three again. Talk about the cameos, Babylon and Glass Onion, full of them. Um, and then uh, this one, uh, I think he'll say three. Yeah. All right. Out of respect. I, I could see him preventing us from making Babylon quad approved. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, no. All right. Well, let's move on we, to our third one here. Our third featured review is one that's been out for a little while. It hit um, it hit a little bit of a wider release in theaters a, a <laughs> week or two ago. It is or no, it was last week. I think it was last Wednesday is when it, it got a little bit of a wider release. And that is The Whale, the new Darren Aronofsky film starring Brendan Fraser. I know these rules can feel constraining, but remember, the point of this course is to learn how to write clearly and persuasively. Think about that. Think about the truth of your argument. You're an amazing person, Ellie. I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter. Are you actually trying to parent me right now? Who would want me to be a part of their life? You don't stay in touch with mom? She really only tells me things about you. Why? Because that's all I want to know about. Why'd you gain all that weight? Someone close to me passed away and it had an effect on me. You haven't seen her since she was eight years old and you're gonna reconnect with her? Sorry. I don't like this. This isn't a good idea. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time. I will shove a knife right into you. I swear to God. Go ahead. What's it gonna do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. <laughs> Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? This. I'm worried that she's forgotten what an amazing person she is. I need to know that she's gonna have a decent life where she cares about people and that she's gonna be okay. I need to know that I have done one thing 
right with my life. Adam, this one's yours. Tell us what it's about. What you thought? All right. Uh, you asked us which one we wanted to do, and I picked this one for this. Uh, I put Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler as a top 10 film of all time. I think it's actually number five. I, I really love The Wrestler. And he is a controversial director that has, uh, uh, you know, some really hard-hitting, tough conversation movies that people are kind of, obviously, Reckoning for a Dream, Black Swan, and The Wrestler are kind of beloved, I think. But Mother was one that he definitely sparked a lot of conversations, and <laughs> good and bad. Uh, but for The Whale, we see, uh, tells a story of Charlie, a reclusive English teacher played by Brendan Fraser, suffering from a severe obesity, attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter, Sadie, played by Sadie Sink, uh, for one last shot of redemption. Uh, so I went to see this in the grand. I kind of want to see if Todd wanted to see it, but uh, we couldn't make that meeting work. But I saw it at the grand, a really quiet theater, not many people in there. And I, I was really kind of excited because of Aronofsky and hearing this per performance and hearing the standing ovations that Brendan Fraser got. And I have to say is that I think Aronofsky did something for Brendan Fraser like he did for Mickey Rourke. He kind of revitalized his career in a sense where I think we're going to see Brendan Fraser sh show back up in a lot more things, I think, for the better. Uh he kind of gave him a kind of a shot. He kind of cast it up perfectly to put for a character. And I think I would be, uh, I would be really happy to see if uh, Frazier actually would win for best uh, actor. But I think maybe the conversation, if he loses would be maybe the movie would, it would do better and get more recollection. Like we talked about the wrestler, it kind of got more love for the wrestler because he didn't win. So I can also see if Frazier doesn't win that way, but, uh, when I was watching it, I definitely got a lot of the wrestler out of it because I couldn't stop the comparison of Rourke and Frazier here because of the kind of the redemption arcs as well, but also the connection to the, his trying to reconnect with their daughters. Obviously, Sadie Sinks being a lot younger actress, there's a lot more animosity towards her father and a lot of more pain there. So there's a lot of guilt that Frazier does have with the not having that relationship there and kind of things of the past that get revealed here. Uh, I, I also picked up a lot of the kind of the father. Obviously, it's set up in kind of like the one room, but um, having a character who's suffering from some kind of illness uh, is kind of hard not to draw that comparison there. I think the one aspect of the movie that isn't get, is getting overlooked is that Hong Chao is not getting any love and support because I think that she is kind of uh, the probably the best part of this film because of how uh, I feel like how strong her character is in the performance. I know she got a lot of kind of early Oscar praise for downsizing, which uh, I think that her not being in a kind of the conversation is maybe kind of a missed opportunity there. I thought a lot of performances, even from Ty Simpkins as Thomas is this kind of door to door missionary uh, had some good interactions there. And over, um, I definitely found myself, really kind of debating on where I wanted to do this. And I ended up really kind of just liking the movie a lot. I'm at three and a half stars for this film for the simple fact is that it, it reminded me of so much of what I loved about the wrestler of kind of a, a redemption story that is left kind of ambiguous at the end. And maybe this one is not so as um, not as, as ambiguous as the wrestler, but it, it is a kind of a Brendan Fraser is essentially a broken down piece of meat that, uh, 
needs to try to find his redemption. And I really kind of connected with it again. So the whale is three and a half stars for me. All kind right. of tough to talk about for me too. So, yeah, it, it it's an interesting film. Uh, I saw this one almost a week ago now, and uh, it was interesting watching it in the theater because as the credits rolled and as that final scene played, it felt like everyone in the theater was either crying or yeah. snickering. Uh, it was it was like one or the other it, because it it's almost like it's so grotesque at times and yeah. so and so over the top at times in in showing his obesity that it, it gets uncomfortable laughter out of those that don't want to actually take it seriously, Let's take it seriously, which yeah. may, which makes it kind of a, a really polarizing movie because I feel like it goes a little further than it needs to in showing some of that. Just, just frankly, disgusting behavior that he is stuck in that he, that is an addiction for him. Um, I, I saw this and I said, this is a mix of, uh, it's a mix of the wrestler uh, mixed with leaving Las Vegas, but based on a play and set in one room, which means uh-huh. automatically this is going to be Todd's number one movie of the year. He hasn't seen it yet, but I, I told him this is this is your number one movie of the year because this is everything you want and you love in a movie. Uh, Brendan Fraser is 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 amazing. He's transformational in the in this role. Um I, I don't see it winning be- uh, winning best actor though. That this this type of role does not does not win. Uh yeah. but the, the reclamation project of Brendan Fraser is is definitely a thing. And I mean he's in this next year he's in The Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Scorsese movie. He's also in I was looking he's also in this movie called Brothers with him, Peter Dinklage, Josh Brolin, Glenn Close, Taylor Page. Uh and so there he's got a couple movies coming out in the next year that are big time movies. Uh, I love how small this cast is. It's definitely another one of those movies that you could tell was kind of built around COVID. Hong Chao is amazing in this movie. Uh, she's a, she's the standout in the supporting cast for me. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 three and a half stars. I was right on like three three and a half because uh, it it does it it does kind of trail at times. I feel like it's a little too long. Um, it, it's hard to really fully get on board with at times, but uh, Brendan Fraser's performance put it into the three and a half star range for me. Zach, where are you at? Well, first of all, I, I need to ask: Do Brendan Fraser and Peter Dinklage play brothers? I have no yeah, idea. That's what I, that's, that's what I was like. That's like on, complete opposite. On IMDb, it, it, the the uh, it says plot kept under wraps, but it says it's a comedy. That's all I know. Hmm. Oh, Directed no. by Max Barbacow. I have no idea who this is. Nice. I hope I hope it makes a great double feature with Bros, Bros and Brothers. Oh, it's the guy who directed Palm Springs. This is going to be good. Nice. Well, this was the guy who directed Requiem for a Dream, which is a movie in all of our top 100s. And uh, I I'm pretty far apart from both of you on this one. Um, I thought it was um, okay. The first problem is. Brendan Fraser is in a fat suit and it's painfully obvious that he's in a prosthetic. And it's also pretty clear that the movie does some CGI. And so, you know, I understand that Brendan Fraser is a great actor. I actually think incidentally that he will win best actor for this movie, but I just don't, I, I guess I have to join the chorus and critics and saying, I don't know why Aronofsky could have just avoided all those issues and cast an actual plus size actor in this role. 
Um, to me, it just feels so performative what Brandon Frazier does. And again, it's not by design. It's not by intention. So you're kind of left wondering, like, why couldn't we just avoid all those pitfalls? Um, maybe it's because Aronofsky saw something in Brendan Fraser's like persona in real life, possibly. And that's, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, so be it. But for me, it just kind of, it, it, it only enhances what is already a lot of artifice in this movie, particularly with the, the characters of uh, Sadie Sink, who's the estranged daughter that we've seen in 10 million movies. I think like Emma Stone and Birdman. I mean, it's all I thought of in, in that performance. Um, uh, Hong Chao is becoming now the default um, really good actor in a really terrible movie after downsizing. Um, she has some good moments here, but you know, it's kind of interesting because I left the movie kind of thinking like, well, shit, you know, Brandon Fraser, we're supposed to feel bad for. He's the Christ figure. He's the one who's done all the suffering. I feel more bad for Hong Chao. Like the shit that she had to go through it, involving, you know, uh, a family member, involving being cast out of something. And most importantly, being stranded on the road for $700 truck repair that could not be paid for. Like, come on, this lady has been through the ringer. Um, I thought the missionary character was annoying. Interestingly enough, apparently in the play, the 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 screenplay leans more on a possible homosexual kind of tryst between those two. Um, I, you know, I, I think that the movie is problematic in a lot of ways. I try to look past that, I guess, and understand what Aronofsky was trying to see, but I just can't get past the fact, like, for example, really the Brendan Fraser role why, or character, his downfall is that um, he's fat. And at one point in his life, he wasn't fat and he was thin and he was happy and therefore a more valid human being. And I really thought that was sort of an appalling message. I don't, again, I don't know if that was the intention, but that was how it came across to me is that his downfall was the fact that he was actively oversized and had food addiction and to me that's it's not a character flaw um i thought the ending was kind of predictable i thought that the moby dick allegory metaphor was really heavy-handed as was the music as was the cinematography and transitions it was very stage bound and uh gosh i i can't get there it is a one half star movie Whoa. i i think that there was something that he did say that he wasn't always the uh, the skinniest guy. He was a kind of. He said to himself that he was a bigger guy. He wasn't this big before, and that his uh, lover loved him and treated him like he wasn't his way he, that he was. And then once he had passed, he died. He went into his guilt, and that's where he really started eating more. Yeah, that, that's, that's how that's how really... it, that's how it played for me. That's how I really. That's where I really saw leaving Las Vegas in it too. Is you. Um you get so trapped in your addiction that you you realize you're killing yourself through your addiction yet you still can't stop yeah. um and, and that's uh that's kind of where where i saw that in, in but it. but it's what, worthlessness he's he's a worthless character in in the movie at least on the outside because of this inability to control his appetite which may have been caused by trauma but again i just i, I found that sort of demeaning like why not why not just make this character plus size his entire life? Why make this a, a byproduct of the bad things that he does in his life? Like, I don't know. To me, that just kind of tainted how we're supposed to understand the character. I mean, that 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 you could say that about any movie that that's about uh, addiction leading to a downfall. Yeah, but this is an addiction. This is this is a, a way that this is who he is. Uh, it's not like alcoholism, which, you know, is I, I don't know. Like, to me, yeah. it was. Totally is. It's a it's a traumatic experience he had in his life that that led to an addiction that has gotten out of control. 
I mean, how is that not exactly because, like every other movie about addiction? And in, in that you because alcoholism is taboo. Alcoholism is something that we condemn as a culture, and we should not be condemning and tabooing o- oversized people. Is, is I guess what what I would say about that. I, and I would say to the level it took this, it it treats it the same way. Like that's why I said it's leaving Las Vegas because it's treating it the exact same way that it treat that Nicolas Cage's character treats alcoholism in leaving Las Vegas. He's get he, Nicholas Cage drinks himself is going to drink himself to death, and Brendan Fraser's going to eat himself to death. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a problem if you're a, a, a plus size person. You shouldn't have to feel that way. I guess you shouldn't have to feel villainized because of the way you look. That that was, I guess, my my problem. With the movie. It really does underscore, though, what you said earlier. Half the audience is crying, half the audience is snickering. I just couldn't get there, and I understand that there are people that can get there. I just couldn't do it. I, all yeah. I saw was artifice. Well, and, and it's it's just like it's just like it's that working. moment. Uh, there, there's that moment of there's a reveal moment later on in the movie. That that's that's the the go that's everyone's reaction, right? As as he reveals himself in that in that moment over Zoom. Every every reaction. What? Well, yeah, but every reaction on the screen is every reaction of of people who are watching this. It, it's it's it, it, you see everything from from horror to disgust to to ridiculousness to uh to shame to I mean, that that's it, it all depends on how you read what what's being given to you and and that's why i see this as such a polarizing movie what's interesting i had this and babylon like right in the same category of right on the edge of three three and a half what's really funny though is as I talked about Babylon, I, it kept on getting better and better in my head. And as I talked about the whale, it kept on getting worse and worse. So uh, Babylon might be moving up in my three and a half in, as a solid three and a half. This might be moving down to a three. But at the same time, I still think there's a lot of quality there. And it's a really interesting character study. So, um, yeah, I also think so. One of this, again, without spoiling it, there's there's a twist in this story that Brendan Fraser believes that his daughter does something in the movie that is way more benevolent and way more intentional than I would ever believe. And I think like Aronofsky thinks that's like a clever plot twist. And I think he thinks that like, oh, how, uh, you know, how, how benevolent this girl is. Um, it was so unrealistic and impossible to believe based on what we know about that character up to that point um, that you that's have to believe that, that, that he's pretty delusional in that um, as well. Um, and then uh, it, it is very stage bound. Um, I also said here, you know, this movie, I don't know about you guys, this movie I saw in a packed theater and people, I think people are seeing this movie. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm crazy. Maybe it's, it was just different theaters. But like, I feel like this movie has had more box office success than Babylon, mostly due to the fact that it's not three hours. Right? I mean, is there something to be said for that? I think it's because it's Brendan. Brendan Fraser. I, I, I think everyone, everyone remembers the Brendan Fraser of 20 years ago and wants to see. Renaissance. Hashtag. Yep. Yeah, I think. You, you mentioned something about Aronofsky probably seeing something in Brendan Fraser. I th- I, I can see that where he because he's a pulls... really sweet guy in real life. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and I think that's it. what Char that's what Charlie kind of is. He even yeah. his, his ex says like you basically see the positive in ev- everything, and I think that's what uh, Brendan Fraser kind of kind of is that he has his guilt and Bren- I think Brendan Fraser does have his own guilt. That's why he said he won't uh, attend the Golden Globes. Yeah, exactly. And can we talk? We should talk about that for a second because I feel like that actually helps his Oscar chances because he's taking <laughs> that's actually the moral pretty ground, smart. Yeah, right. And and he's taking the moral ground and he's not going to get any awards for it. So I feel like the Oscars now owe him almost. Yeah, he's either gonna, he's going to get the Oscar or he's going to get the uh, 
the Screen Actors Guild. He's gonna get yeah, he's gonna get some definitely at least something. Not yeah, a golden we'll globe to. though. Not the golden globe. <laughs> Imagine if he got the golden globe. All right, my that hot would, take. Okay, Austin anyway, Butler's sorry. winning best actor. That's my hot take. Oh, I, I, Colin, that's, that's not a hot take. That is yeah, very it's possible. not gonna be Colin Farrell, it's not gonna be Brendan Fraser. It, it, they're, if it's they're not, gonna, yeah, it's gonna Fraser, be it's, it's Austin Butler. I'm on the fence about watching Elvis, to be honest. Oh my like, god, I don't know if I Adam, why have you not watched Elvis yet? This was <laughs> one of the great debates on our entire show. I wasn't even there for it. Pretty, uh, yeah, three and a half stars versus one star. I mean, this is a pretty big debate, too. Don't get me wrong, but. <laughs> Like, you know, I can understand, Adam, your reaction to the movie. Elvis is just a piece of shit, and I have no clue why Terry liked it. That's that's more fun. Oh, shit. Yeah, that, that is pretty bull. <laughs> Polar opposites on the rating. Yep. Holy cow. Jesus. Todd, Todd, said, Todd said it's, it's the worst movie that he felt had an Oscar-worthy performance in. <laughs> this year or ever? Ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> nice. Man. Although the way is right. not that far off, no offense. Well, let, let's uh, let, let's move on because uh, we spent a lot of time on this. We got some other stuff to be talking about. So we've got uh, three and a half from Adam, three and a half from me. Might be moving down to three. We'll see. And then one and a half from Zach. Uh, the whale's still out in theaters. Check it out. It's making more money than Babylon somehow. I don't know. Brandon Go crazy. see both of them. Okay. So let's move on into our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. For this week, I think I, I won last time uh, in guessing Todd's list because Todd wasn't here for that one. Uh, but this was kind of a consensus one. We did this last year and it was a lot of fun. As we're wrapping up, as we're winding down 2022, uh, we decided we're going to count down our best first time watches of 2022. Now, that means not we can't talk about any movie we watched from 2022. We can't talk about any 2021 movies that were like Oscar catch-ups that didn't come out until the beginning of 2022, anything like that. So these are anything that we just watched kind of for the fun of it during 2022. And what were the best five? Uh, so that's what we're going to be counting down. That's what we're, we're going to be talking about. Uh, we do have Todd's list. He he sent that in. So we're going to be looking at that, not guessing it because the, it's just not something you really want to guess. Uh, it'd be impossible to guess. So uh, let's get into this. Uh, we're going to start with Zach. Okay. So a uh, lot of great first time watches in, in 2022. I'm going to start and some of these I've discussed on the podcast. Some of them I have not. Uh, I'm going to start with um, my first pick from 1987. It's a movie I watched, I think, in October, and I mentioned it on the podcast. It is called I've Heard the Mermaids Singing. It's directed by Patricia Rosima, and it's the story of uh, a young woman who works in an art gallery in Toronto, and she sort of idolizes her boss. And uh, her boss is uh, a one-time unsuccessful artist, wannabe artist. And uh, the movie's shot in this very low budget, but kind of cool, sort of hypnotic, almost like hallucinatory way. We sort of see inside the brain of this uh, protagonist. Her name is um, uh, Polly in the movie. She's played by Sheila McCarthy. We see a sequence where she like flies and has fantasies. And she's an amateur photographer too. And that's really interesting. Uh, the movie's just fun. It's, it's funny. It has a real pulse to it. It's uh, well-written. 
It was a movie shot very, very, very cheaply. Um, and I don't know how well this movie is known outside Canada. It has 1,800 votes on, on uh, IMDb. It was ranked as one of the best all-time Canadian movies like 20 years ago. Um, and now it's kind of regarded as sort of a feminist classic, although I don't know if I would identify the movie's politics as feminist per se. Um, it is a really interesting movie. It's on Canopy. I really enjoyed it. It's only like 80 minutes. It's kind of a blast. I love it. I've heard the mermaid sing. Nice. Good Which call. Is nice. A line from a poem, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, great Tennyson poem. I sure hope we don't have any more lows on this. That would be weird. That would be weird. Would be yep. weird. All right, Adam, you're next. Number five. All right, number five for me is the film that I found from Criterion. I got released this year from 1965. It's a film called Anibaba, directed by Kinto Sinodo or. Shindo, uh, but essentially it's about a mother and a daughter-in-law who are uh, surviving in this kind of swamp over in Japan, Japan during the uh, kind of a Japanese war there. And essentially when the samurais journey through these, these this tall grass, they kind of ambush them and kill them and basically sell the armor to survive out here where they're, where they live. Uh, then once one day, one samurai comes on with this, this very kind of demonic looking mask and uh, they do the same thing. They kill her. And uh, the mother-in-law starts having some distrust with the, the daughter-in-law who the daughter uh, or her son went to the war and had died. And so she's kind of, the daughter-in-law is having an affair. So to get back at her, she uses that demonic looking mask and come to find out that it, it, it she can't get it off either. So it has some kind of demonic powers attached to it too. Uh, kind of very haunting imagery imagery, and just really kind of a movie that I would never have seen unless uh, Criterion had released it. So I had picked it up based off the, the Criterion cover alone and I kind of really enjoyed it. So I wanted to mention it here. Anibaba from 1965. It does have one of the all-time great Criterion covers. It looks like a, like a comic strip. <laughs> It has like beautiful shading on it. It is it's yeah. one of it's one of the top. If we did a power rankings with Criterion covers, it would make my top five. Yeah, I've never so seen it, the movie though. Yeah, it's it's definitely has some hallmarks for Adam films. So it's a kind of some shocking imagery there too. And it, it was just but no really, Samara weaving. No Samara weaving, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, before her time, but some really good performances here too. So it was uh, yeah, a really solid watch. All right. All right. So moving on to me, it's funny. I was talking to Todd about this list and he was saying that it's kind of not fair because Adam and I have like things that we do to make sure we watch films that uh, our first time watches. Like Adam has his first time watch segment on, on uh, the daily notes podcast. Uh, I have my Oscar watches. And so that it, it adds up pretty quick and movies that we get to watch because we just have ways that we do it. So I was looking, I've seen so far to date, and it'll, it'll probably go up a little bit in the next couple days before we get to the, the official end of the year. I've seen 199 movies in 2022. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely I'm impressed I'm over it. that too. <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. I'm the last one? Jeez, all I feel like is I ever watch movies. How do yeah, you guys have time for Well, I, so I, I mean, if I do, have a I, kid. Do a, I do a double <laughs> Yeah, no feature. kidding. I do a double I feature a at the theater almost every almost every week, and I watch at you know the my Oscar watch every week. And then if if we're doing deep dives or if I have trivia watches that I need to watch, it adds up pretty quick. So 199, 98 wow. of them are first time watches. Um, so um, and 52 of those are my Oscar watch. Well, 51 because I haven't watched the last one yet. But um, 
So wait, you've seen so, a, that? That means you've seen a hundred two thousand twenty-two movies. Is that what you're saying? No, that uh, that combines also the twenty twenty-one. Oh, movies okay. Too. I see. I think I think I've seen. I think I'm at eighty-one. Twenty twenty-two exactly movies. What I'm at. I think I'm at eighty-two. I'm at eighty-three. There we go. Movies. I'm I'm Great at eighty-one. Yeah. And Zach and Todd's at one hundred seventy-five. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Um. So, anyways, uh. All of the movies that made my top five, like, it, it made it pretty easy because I just pulled up my list and and I, I date when I watch movies. But uh, all the movies from my top five are my first time Oscar watches. So I've talked about them before on the podcast, so I'm not going to spend too much time uh, going through them and talking about them anymore. But uh, of my 98 first time watches this year, I had six four star movies. So five, the, the five that I'm going to talk about are all four star movies. Number five on the list is one I watched about a month ago. It was one of the bigger oversights I had uh, this year, and that's my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> uh, I, I I love that love that movie. It was it was such a sweet, simple romantic comedy. It didn't try to do too much. It, it's a it's a great one, uh, and I'm excited to watch it over and over and over again because it seems like it's a really rewatchable movie, which is probably why it was such a huge box office hit back in 2002 oversight for deep dive to be honest with you so let's do that in five years exactly exactly you didn't watch the cbs spinoff my big fat greek life though because that don't watch and don't watch my big fat greek wedding too yeah didn't watch either of those all right zach number four all right well uh i I hate to break it to to you but uh this year i got covid it's a sad sad moment i think you go back to the tapes rewind that you can hear me uh, having a crackled voice in one of our october episodes and i said oh it's not a big deal and then yeah, you sounded like hell for a couple yeah of 12 hours later i got covid yeah it was very sad don't worry i've been back vaxxed and boosted and everything as should everybody out there but um <laughs> one of the real consequences of covid was movies and everybody just assumes you're tired and you're just sitting on a couch all day so why not watch movies well my problem was i fall asleep during movies even when i don't have covid so covid (laughs) made it like 10 times worse for me okay i fell asleep twice during avatar 2 as adam correctly predicted so there was a grand total of one movie the entire length of my covid bout which was about you know like nine days i mean it was lengthy one movie that I could sit through the whole thing and not fall asleep. And that movie is number four on my list. And it is nine and a half weeks from 1986. I talked about this in our episode right after I got COVID. Oh my God. I love this movie. I mean, we've talked about Mickey Rourke already. This was kind of the breakout role of Mickey Rourke and Kim future Academy Award winner, Kim Basinger, who we've also talked about this year quite in depth. And this is a story of their torrid love affair over nine and a half weeks in New York City. He's a Wall Street broker. She runs an art gallery. I guess that's a theme in my top five um, first time watches this year. And uh, the movie is steamy and erotic, although not really as explicit as you might expect. It is uh, like The Last Tango in Paris, except I think way better. It's way more grounded in reality. It's not over the top. There's actually some humor in the movie, which is amazing. Shortly after this, Todd assigned me Wall Street. And I actually thought, even though this movie is Wall Street on the periphery, this movie has more to say about Wall Street than Wall Street did. Um, It's the true underrated classic of the 1980s and launched the careers of two great movie stars who I don't know if they've ever actually done anything better than this movie. So I love Adrian Lyon. Directors like Adrian Lyon come around once every 25, 30 years. Thank you, Adrian Lyon. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you, everybody. Uh, An awesome movie that you guys should really check out. Nine and a half weeks. I need to watch that one. Yeah. All right. right. 
Adam, number four. So this is another one I did on my first time watch for 1997, which is actually a 1999 movie here in the States. It's called Perfect Blue. It's a Japanese anime film. It's about a retired pop singer who's like turning actress, but then she's also stalked by an obsessed fan and also the ghost of her past. So a lot of uh, haunting imagery there too. It plays more like a, like a horror film than an actual like uh, spirited away or anything like that. Uh, really kind of haunting imagery that especially when they the stalker does kind of get her it comes across kind of more of like a uh, serial killer-esque type of film there too so uh really kind of pushing the medium forward especially for uh, uh satsui uh, satsui Cohn's first like big animated film that he's done so uh yeah perfect blue is one that i knew that i wanted to watch when i was doing the, like, these first time watch episodes so it was kind of a a must film for me so perfect blue 1999 now according to imdb this movie has an nc-17 rating it does i can i cannot think of any movie other than fritz the cat that was an animated movie that got an nc-17 so in the words of leonardo dicaprio gentlemen you had my attention and now you have my interest or whatever curiosity curiosity there we go (laughs) very nice very nice there we go all right Number four for me is uh, a movie that Adam mentioned 30 seconds ago. It's Spirited Away. There we uh, go. Nice. Which was a first time watch for me this year. Uh, good uh, one. It is uh, It is now our number four movie of 2002 on our website. It's uh, in three of our top tens. It is in Adam's top 100 of all time. It is a quad four star movie. That's How often does that happen? That does not happen very often. I reviewed it in episode 198. Uh, which I believe might have been my my Vegas episode. So that was fun. Uh, anyways, yeah, Spirited Away. It's Miyazaki's most critically acclaimed movie, uh, and I haven't seen much of it, but it's the best one I've seen. Uh, it's a crazy story, and it's brilliantly told. It's got brilliant visuals to it, and uh, yeah, it's a great gateway into into just anime filmmaking in general. So definitely number four, Spirited Away. I had to do that for daily notes too. It's a great movie. Great movie. I feel bad that my number four wasn't an anime. (laughs) Fix it. it. Fix it. Pull an audible. No, you can't pull an audible at the last second because it's already already said. Yeah. All right. Number three, Zach. Okay, my number three was assigned to me by Todd earlier this year. It's a movie that we have long talked about because he loves this movie. I believe it's in his top 100, and he was totally right about it. It is from 1962. The name of the film is Days of Wine and Roses. It is the Blake Edwards film with Jack Lemmon and Lee Remick as a couple who descend pretty aggressively into uh, the pitfalls of alcoholism. And it takes place, I believe, in, I want to say the Bay Area. Um, And uh, basically, Jack Lemmon sort of plays his character from the apartment. He's sort of an everyday salary man. And at first, Lee Remick, um, it kind of, it almost pulls like a blue Valentine. Like the first 30 minutes of this movie is just him like wooing her. Uh, And it shows kind of how innocent and wide-eyed their relationship is. She uh, abstains from alcohol. She's never had it before. And uh, slowly he convinces her to also become a regular drinker. And she becomes seduced to it to uh, like him in almost uncontrollable level. There's a scene in this movie where Jack Lemmon... Uh, has the best acting of his career. I said this in my review, but there's a scene in the gr- in a greenhouse when he's looking for one last bottle 
uh, of alcohol that he can get his hands on. And it is Jack Lemon at a raw, visceral level that I've never seen before. If most of Jack's Jack Lemon's performances are La La Land, that was like the Babylon of Jack Lemon. Uh, he was great. And the movie is great. Todd is absolutely right. It's raw, visceral. It obviously influenced movies like Leaving Las Vegas. Um, it's a must-see, and, and uh, it's a great pick. So uh, Days of Wine and Rose is my number three. Very nice. I need it's to see tough. that one. I, I really want to see A it. lot of these movies are available. This, uh, it, Days of Wine and Roses is available on HBO Max. Oh, nice. Oh, okay, well, there we go. All right, Adam. Nine and a half weeks. All right, I try to keep uh, not having the same like year represented on my top 10, or about this power rankings of top five so technically it's a 2002 movie but it came out in the states in 2004 so i'm kind of doing that uh it's infernal affairs Ah, never watched the og version of the departed uh, but i had to do it and it's an absolute like great movie it's so accessible to you can watch this movie know exactly where you're at in the original film it it, the original movie or this is the original movie adam jesus uh so you could see homages that of the departed in here because it pays good tribute to infernal affairs, but there's changes in it that I really liked the, the, this version more than the actual departed. So this is actually my new top 100 movie of all time. Infernal wow. Affairs. Oh. So I figured the departed and infernal affairs kind of perfect book ending of my top 100. Now I think that's just a perfect spot there. And I'm looking forward because I bought the uh, criterion, of it, so I can't. I got. I got to go see Infernal Affairs two and Infernal Affairs three. So those are going to be daily notes next year for first time watch, celebrating its anniversary because it came out in two thousand three. So pretty exciting. Wow, nice, nice. Yeah, cool. I feel like I feel like my top top three are probably top one hundred movies at this point. Maybe four and five. I don't know, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to do that list in a couple of years because I think I've seen some stuff that I'm about to mention that probably are top hundred worthy too, top one hundred. Yeah, we'll see where these end up for me too. I don't know. I don't know. All right, uh, number three on my list was my second Oscar watch of the year. There we go. Uh, which I apparently never talked about on the podcast because I, I I looked it up and it wasn't there. I think it was the week we did our top top tens of the of the year before. So we didn't do a, an update on what we'd been watching, but uh, it's uh, Malcolm X. Nice. Uh, yeah, Spike Lee joint, Denzel Washington. It is, it is a brilliant movie. It's a brilliant portrayal of uh, of that life. Uh, I mean, talk about a, a high war performance. Denzel as Malcolm X is a very high war performance in that he just he he embodies him so well. Uh, it's in it's my number six of 1992 it is a brilliant film and uh yeah like i said i watched it almost a year ago i watched it on january 12th of 2022 so it was one of the first oscar watches of the year but it stuck with me and it's my number three yeah i hate to say i mean i liked one night miami but kingsley uh ben adir was nothing compared to Denzel. Yeah. It's, yes. It, it also, was the perfect actor at the perfect time in his life too, right? It, it, like it, it, it fit perfect. Yeah. I another, still need to see that one. Another Criterion release. Yeah, this year, yeah, November. Right. I should have had yeah. that as my number three as a Criterion release. Dang it! <laughs> Darn it! Should have gotten organized. All right, Zach, number two. 
Okay, my number two is, you know, we talked about these movies, if they're going to enter the echelon of our esteemed top 100 lists. And technically, my number two movie is already in my top 100, even though I'd only seen it this year. Uh, I, I will explain. Uh, the movie, and I don't know, well, no, no, I think it qualifies, is uh, 63 Up. Uh, which we talked about uh, back in August. And uh, I don't know if it violates Terry's rule. It, it's a 2019 movie. I know it's a recent movie. I know we like to talk about kind of older movies. We should maybe have a five-year buffer, but I can't talk about great non-2022 movies without mentioning this one. Uh, we saw this back in August. I remember it because I saw it the night before my first day of classes. Uh, no, sorry. It's the night before my second day of teaching back to school. And it was the only thing on my mind all day. I should have been remembering kids' names and, you know, remembering where they sit and shit <laughs> like that. But I could only think about our friends Tony and Nick and, uh, you know, Nigel and and uh, Paul and Charles and everyone. Um, they're just old friends. They're old chums. It's great to see them again. Uh, and gosh, the movie was, I think, more philosophical and dense than I was anticipating. It went to some really deep, uh, sad places for a lot of their lives. I think my comment when we reviewed it was, man, these these assholes got old and it's kind of sad to see. Um, but listen, I will always recast Tony in any British role in any deep dive we ever do. So uh, my hat's off to those people who have devoted their whole life to making one of the great cinematic uh, feats in the history of cinema. It should have been at the end of Babylon, I think. Uh, but yes, yeah, 63 up, unforgettable experience, great movie. And Adam, just to vote, then just to vote like 30 hours. Uh, you have 30, uh, that 30 hour block, right? Just watch all the movies back to back. Well, spoiler alert, <laughs> we're going to hear about one of them in a, in a few minutes because that might have been his Oscar or his trivia. Uh, yeah, trivia oh, assignment. okay. So, uh, yeah, I have go. something to report on late in a little bit. Yeah, I 63 up probably it, it would have made my top five, but uh, I, I left it off. It, it felt technically, I guess it would have qualified, but the same time it felt weird putting a movie on there that was a, a featured review because it was finally available to us in the states so that's fair yeah yeah but it, it would have made my top five as well all right adam all right uh we talked about a spike lee joint a couple picks ago with terry uh yeah we're going back there to this another joint here 2002 25th hour we did a deep dive of this one. Right. Uh, I forgot that was a first time watch for you. Yeah, that was a great deep dive. I, I could have yeah. went with Far From Heaven there too as a 2002 film. Both uh, fa fascinating watches for the first time. But 25th Hour gives so many uh, great good performances there. I love Edward Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman. You got Barry Pepper. Uh, just a really great deep dive and discussion there. And uh, I was really hesitant going into the deep dive because never seeing it before, but I think it was definitely worth it. And I think it actually turned out really one of our one of our better deep dives this, this last year. It, it's one I, I can see also creeping into my top 100 because it's just something I would definitely have stuck with me for a while. And I definitely want to go back and revisit because uh, it's definitely one of those, uh, one of my favorite, more favorite uh, Spike Lee films. So 25th hour, number two. Nice. And it created the almost sideways meme of Hillary Swank as a defense attorney defending Edward Norton's drug charges. Yeah, because I thought it was some kind of court movie for some reason. Yeah, see, there we go. So that's why. I and that, and that created the segment. What does Adam think this movie is exactly. about? Exactly. So. Yeah, then, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. In any deep dive that that creates an, an, a recurring uh, bit that we do. Is, we have is to a mention it. Dive. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, like I said, I forgot that was a first time watch for you. And 
Yeah, it was a movie. I forgot how great it was until we rewatched it. So, all right, number two on my list. It may be recency bias. I don't know. I don't care. It's a movie I've already mentioned. It's Mr. Saturday Night. This wow. is how much I like wow. this movie. It, it's it's my number two favorite first time watch of the year. Uh, it's it's got it's got that much going on for me. Um, and like I said, Zach's gonna hate it because it's overly sentimental. That's one of the reasons I love it. But uh, it's it's an awesome awesome movie. Like I said, it's probably I haven't officially placed it yet, but probably a top five 1992 movie for me now. So there you go. That's that's awesome. Good stuff. All right. Zach, number one. I'm going to be sorely disappointed if I don't get what your number... I, I think I know what your number one is, Terry, but we shall see. Otherwise, it's a shocking omission from your top five list. Uh, my number uh, one is definitely a movie that will now make my top 100. I could make a case for it being in the top 20. I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it makes me want to go back to that uh, great uh, day we had in August of 2021 doing our, our list because this should have been an entry on my list, except I hadn't seen it at that time. Um, the movie is by who I think are tied for the greatest living filmmakers. It is Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne's movie from 1999, Rosetta, which won them the Palme d'Or at Cannes. And some people thought, eh, is this really a Palme? It's a memorable Palme d'Or winner. It absolutely is. For a long time, I thought that their great masterpiece was Two Days, One Night, which is, I think, number like 14 on my all-time top 100. This movie might actually be better than it. Uh, when I saw it, I just had a Zachgasm. It was like the opening of Speed. It was just a, an amazing experience. Uh, it was Hashtag like elephant Zach-gasm. shit all over the place in the first five minutes of on a camera. Uh, it was just an explosion of French, uh, you know, working class, uh, kitchen sink, handheld camera, uh, characters <laughs> who are living in horrible conditions. I mean, the first scene in this movie is like the most Dardenne scene ever you know she's storming out of her job that she's just been fired by this is a performance by emily duquen that i think is one of the great performances of all time um i just i cannot get enough of this movie it, it, it is brilliant from start to finish the dardens are so great at building up tension and drama out of mundane everyday situations seemingly mundane everyday situations i can't wait for their movie next year i have a funny little story about this movie i saw it i rented it from the library uh, the library DVD w- had the last 10 minutes really, really sketchy. I had to watch it on YouTube, which is a shame because the last 10 minutes are amazing. I brought, I purchased the Criterion Blu-ray for this movie instantly. It also had a scratched last 10 minutes. I mean, that's just kind of freaky, right? That, that had mm-hmm. to be, that's some sort of sign, right? Uh, anyway, I did buy a third uh, yeah, Rosetta copy that now has the final 10 minutes intact. Thank the Lord. Uh, it's a great great movie it'd be weird if it'd be weird if the the third copy you bought the only parts that weren't scratched were the last 10 minutes that would be even weirder yes that would have been that would have been in you know 75 minutes of just scratched film would have been hard to appreciate it if although it wouldn't have totally not fit in with the darden's aesthetic there we go well zach thank you for staying on brand and picking a, a random french film by the darden brothers as your number one you're, you're welcome. Now I've seen every Darden Brothers film. They're one of the only filmmakers I've seen their entire filmography, except for their student wow. films. And uh, I love them. They've never made a bad movie, except for maybe Lorna's Silence. But I need to go back and revisit that. So so the Dardens are are to Zach what the Cager is to Todd. I think so. Much, so I, much so we need we need a Darden, a Darden power ranking of uh, 
first well, it's funny, funny you ask because I, I, I had text. This conversation came up with me and Todd this year, and because uh, Todd has seen a lot of their movies too. But I would say it's. It, I don't know. Depending on the day, Rosetta or Two Days One Night is their best film. You but should just have a little uh, sack salts show, like just make a like your Zach list because of... a lot of people would listen to that, Adam. I guarantee that... you, the Darden Brothers fandom is is massive. <laughs> it's like the Harry Styles of art cinema. Well, they'll probably see like, oh, that guy always belittles how many people actually listen to the show. We might not listen to that. Oh, people man. actually listen. <laughs> All, right, All right, Adam, number one. Uh, so number one, I know last year you guys tried to predict which movie would be on my top pick last year i think godfather 2 was kind of the consensus and sadly i still have not seen that movie oh adam <laughs> uh but i did see mulholland drive which that would be this go. year's pick mulholland drive directed by David wow Lynch. yeah that's a great one uh yeah so this one I, I last year i watched for the first time the elephant man preparing for our top one or a couple years ago actually now but watched Mulholland Drive. I saw that I got the, the 4K, so I bought it just so I could do a daily notes on it. Uh, yeah, this is a confusing movie, uh, I gotta say, <laughs> to say the least. Do I understand it? No. Uh, am I confused by it? Yes. Do I love it? Yeah, I'm kind of enthralled by it. I, I'm wanting to go back and rewatch it again uh, relatively soon. I, I think this is for sure, out of anything I watched this year, for sure, top 100 <laughs> movie just because of how the the aesthetic of it some really great performances here too uh, i think the mystery of the story is what's the most captivating thing about it because it's open to kind of interpretation of what actually happens so uh as i was putting this list together i thought mulholland drive was the a good movie to put here as number one very nice very nice it deserves to be in that spot it's a classic right. also a movie that i watched for the first time with terry and todd in their basement <laughs> In back in yesterday, gosh, was that with both of us or just Todd? I feel like it might have been just Todd. I fell asleep. That's possible. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, number one on my list, uh, I would say is the only one on my list that I would say is guaranteed to spot my top 100 next time we do it. It's one of the more eye opening movies I saw this year. Uh, it's in my uh, top five of 2002. It's in Zach's top 10 of 2002. I talked about it in episode 187, which just happened to be the episode where we reviewed 63 up. Uh, and uh, according to the movie poster, uh, this movie is uh, is just like Russell Hammond's guitar playing incendiary. Incendiary. It's Bowling for Columbine. Uh it is, uh, it, like I said, it's an eye-opening documentary, yet wildly entertaining at the same time, uh, which I it was kind of weird. Uh, like it, it's this, it's this crazy, crazy mix of of just being horrified, angered, and entertained yeah. all at the same time. Uh, it, it's one of the best documentaries I, I feel like I've ever seen that's and ever been made. Um, it. Michael Moore is able to to ride that line of being political, but being uh, at the same time uh, approachable from all sides uh, in this movie. Probably something he hasn't been able to do in any of his other movies because his po- his political leanings come out a little too much in those. But um, Bowling for Columbine is undeniable, and uh, it is it's my number one first time watch this year. Nice. Is yeah, that what you thought it was? That Zach? One. 
Well, it's an inter- it's interesting you ask that because uh, no, originally I thought it was another 2002 movie, which was Nowhere in Africa, which I'm shocked is not on your list. Uh, but then, as you were talking about the about this movie, I thought, oh shit, isn't this the year he saw Far from Heaven? That has to be his number one movie. But uh, no, somehow I think he gave that three and a half. The, yeah, the critics did not call Julianne Moore's performance incendiary, which is yeah. really sad because it was. But- Far from Heaven made the honorable mention list. Nowhere in Africa ranked, it looks like number 14 of my first time watches. So just missed. But it was it was still a very good movie. All right. So let's uh recap five to one and then talk about other honorable mentions. Uh Zach. Number five is I've heard the mermaids singing. Number four is nine and a half weeks. And I also neglected to mention now, whenever I think of uh, COVID or nine and a half weeks, I will think of the one or the other. I will always associate them together. Um, number three is Days of Wine and Roses. Number six, number two is 63 Up. And number one with a bullet is the Dardenne Brothers masterpiece, Rosetta. All right, Adam. All right, my very international looking list here. It's going to go number five, Anibaba. Number four, Perfect Blue. Three, Infernal Affairs. Two, 25th Hour. And number one, we're taking a journey down Mulholland Drive. That is a very eclectic list. Well done, Adam. Very criterion. Yeah. All right, for See, me, number... I, I dove, dove into it this year. My, mine, mine is all over the place, too. Number five, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. <clears throat> number four, Spirited Away. Number three, Malcolm X. Number two, Mr. Saturday Night. And number one, Bowling for Columbine. No, see, Terry, your list is very movies that were made in years that end in two. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, no, no 2012 movies, though. It's all tw- uh, 2002 and 1992, which is interesting. All right. Uh, Zach, honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, several. California Split, which Todd told me to see with Elliot mm-hmm. uh, Gould. Great movie. Wolf Walkers, assigned me by Terry. Great movie. Uh, Elephant Sitting Still, a four hour Chinese movie. Great movie. <laughs> Normal Life, a movie that I will now always, for some reason, associate with The Worst Person in the World, because we, we re- I reviewed it that episode, and I thought it was better than The Worst Person in the World. Um, Vagabond, the Agnes Varda film. Julia with Tilda Swinton, uh, way better than any performance she gave in any movie this year. Raising Victor Vargas, that's probably my number six on this list. Great, great movie. Spring Night, Summer Night, sort of an exploitation movie about incest. Wonderful stuff. Body Heat, assigned to me, from Ter- I think, from Terry. Yep. Thief, when, J- when James Caan died. La Folle Folle by uh, Louis Mal, great movie about a, a guy who's uh, trying to uh, kill himself. I also have to mention the death of Mr. Lazarescu, which I actually thought about during um, The Whale. And I don't think you guys have seen that movie, but that's also about a guy who basically has this really unhealthy habit and it leads to his death. And these people have to help him out of his apartment. And there were undeniable parallels. It's a great double feature because it's so much better than The Whale and it shows why uh, international movies are better than American movies. I'm sorry, Adam, I don't mean to stick it in. And then finally, I also have to mention, uh, this was the first year that I saw Jaws. I had never seen Jaws before. I saw yeah, it at $3 Cinema Night. It was, uh, it was wild. There were homeless people. There were screaming babies. It was a wonderful <laughs> event. They should always be $3 movies. It was you know, the, the, the bottom of the bottom. It was great. Uh, and I will say that I think now the most notable movie that everybody has seen that I have not seen that maybe I'll watch next year is Gremlins. I've never seen Gremlins. There's a lot of Neither 80s movies that you like, and it takes oh, wow. place in Oregon, right? It's a Christmas movie. Let's too. make a pact, Terry. We should watch Gremlins next year. Get it off our list. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. 
All right, Adam. All right, uh, honorable mentions for me. I'm looking at some four stars here. Unforgiven, In the Heat of the Night, Evil Dead 2, which probably is number six on my list. Uh, Basic Instinct was really good. Sophie's Choice, uh, Devi or the Goddess, uh, which is another really good Indian film from Criterion I saw this year. Great cover. I want to see that. But that was Dice K's number one Criterion release of last year. He did a whole video about it. Yeah, it's it's really great. Yeah, Dice K. Shout out to Dice K. Miss you, bud. Uh, then I also watched Cedar Rapids. I just want to hang out with John C. Riley pretty much in that movie. Grindhouse, I did that with Todd. Uh, Phantom Thread, Kiki's Delivery Service. Uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer was another one that I really liked. Um, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Fatal Attraction, watched that for the first time. Angel Heart, which is a low-key, one of my favorite uh, kind of Mickey Rourke. Uh, <laughs> horror notes episode that we did with Todd. And how can we not forget Adam's Rib? No, um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I also watched like Dirty Dancing was a classic movie I hadn't seen before. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, Maltese Falcon was another classic one that I've I watched for the first time. And I can got to say my one of my worst first time watches had to be Holy Motors. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, it actually was the Golden Compass, but Holy Motors was pretty <laughs> down there, too. But yeah, I don't know what Todd sees in that movie. Uh, All right. My honorable mentions, uh, the one four star that didn't make my list was talk to her. Uh, mm-hmm. And then yeah, the ones that were that one. almost four stars. We've got book smart, uh, three identical strangers, far from heaven. Au revoir, les enfants. Oh, uh, the, yeah. the hustler, which Todd assigned me. That's um, Paranorman, uh, That's which is, is awesome. Uh, nowhere in Africa, which we mentioned before about Schmidt. And then a mm. uh, shout out to the week where I decided to uh, binge watch all of the alien movies so that I could watch the one that was nominated and years ago, Prometheus uh, aliens was the best of the ones that I watched. So uh, you got a backwards alien, but alien okay. was great. No, aliens. I, aliens was better. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a good movie. Yeah, I love both of those a lot. And you saw E2 Mama Tom Bien, right? Did that make your list? I did. Uh, not my list. It was in the next group. Okay. So the next group was, uh, <laughs> yeah, Wing Migration, E2 Mama Tom Bien, The Stolen Children, Pretty Woman, and Adam's Rib. Was Adam's next, Rib. The next group. <laughs> shout out. It's like Joe from a few years ago. Yeah. Man, Some that, that, that feels a long time ago that we did that. Adam's Rib. I watched that February 12th is when I watched that one. Jeez. Yeah, my birthday weekend for some reason. Yep. It's weird. All right. So, like I said, we're not guessing Todd's list, but he did send it in so we can hear about his uh, best first time watches of 2022. So, let me play. Fingers that. crossed that he mentions Trick or Treat because that's one that you guys should watch too. Okay. So, for my first time watches of 2022, uh, I sort of chose not to be on this podcast because it's not all that interesting to me. Thanks, Plus, Todd. Like, <laughs> yeah. like 2006 and 2010, I pretty much watched every sort of all timer. So, I'm never going to have one of those years. It's like, oh, wow, I watched Citizen Kane for the first time, or I watched Breathless for the first time. No, I watched them all in that like, you know, five year period. And plus, I watched so many current movies that I don't really watch a whole lot of old movies that much anymore at least for the first time and uh to the point that i'm looking at everything i've watched this year i have three no four uh movies that are three and a half stars or better that weren't 2022 movies or like late release 2021 movies i remember we made that distinction last year so yeah i'm otherwise boiling point from 2021 would be my number one it was like 
actually available to watch in like April or something. Uh, but it was a, a BAFTA nominated uh, like chef movie with Stephen Graham. It was awesome. That would be my number one, but uh, I'm, I'm excluding 2021 movies and 2020 movies. Anyway, uh, my honorable mentions, I have a movie Zach assigned me to watch called Normal Life, which is this Bonnie and Clyde-ish uh, movie from 1996. Which Total Todd movie. Crazy. Uh, and I also have Carnival of Souls, which is a 1962 um, horror Shot movie. That's Kansas. And uh, a Quentin Depew movie that I reviewed on the podcast called Reality, which is just wild. It was released in 2015. So for my actual top five, I have uh going in style is my number five uh from 1979 the uh, original version oh the original i, I reviewed okay. it on the podcast it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny and art carney and lee strasberg and their three old buddies who decide to rid themselves of monotony by uh robbing a bank it's a lot of fun and this is why i don't really like this category because it's, i mean it's a three-star movie and it makes my top five but i mean it is my top 10 of 1979 so for the your record. movie could be on there Adam. i would have never watched treat. it if i didn't have that it could be uh short-lived matt damon no matt dylan uh like series that i was trying to make work and it wasn't gonna work um Number four, I have Head On, which is from 2005, which is uh, the weirdest and darkest love story by Fatih Akane. Uh It's a chance romance between an immigrant and a suicidal lady. And like all Akin movies, it's a, it's a commentary on class and customs. It's a great film. Uh, number three, I have uh, a movie called The Best of It, which is a documentary from 2016, which is uh, chronicling the uh, four professional sports bettors uh, heading into the NFL playoffs and it's the most detailed and intelligent portrayal of sports betting that I've ever seen on screen. Number two, I have Nightmare Alley from 1947. Of course, the original oh, version of the nice. Guillermo del Toro Best Picture nominee from last year. Um, and even though it doesn't have all the like craft brilliance of the new version, it's somehow even darker and somehow even more messed up. Uh, and being 40 minutes shorter helps too because uh, I mean, <laughs> For something like this that's so focused, I really like <laughs> And my number one is a movie that Terry actually had me watch. It is called Sound and Fury, which is, I think, is in wow. nice. There we uh, go. From 2000, it's a sensational, <laughs> emotional documentary about uh, the cochlear implant. And uh, it's about the choice that deaf people have to uh, get this, like, simulated sound device and but it's also about like how it isolates you from deaf culture and other deaf family members it's i mean something i've never forgotten and it's truly a terrific movie so number five going in style from 1979 number four head on number three the best of it number two the 1947 version of night morale and number one sound and fury uh, five movies that are completely random and totally solid, and I don't know if they will ever be mentioned in the same sentence again. That's all I got. Take it easy, guys. I, can't, I look forward to uh, being able to join you guys again here soon. And kicking off Adam. Oh, that's that's <laughs> that was mean, Todd. Thanks. <laughs> so I feel like Terry gets a point or something, right? I mean, you you assigned him his number one movie. That we should do that because, yeah, I'd give Terry a point for winning power rankings. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, do it. That, that I makes gotta sense. assign that to you guys too. That that documentary is 
is brilliant. It's so good. And I, I've got it. It was in my top 100 when we revealed it. And I had it right uh, paired right, right up, with Sound yeah. of Metal because I, I watched it like right around when I watched Sound of Metal. And it's it. They pair so well together. I watched cool. Sound of Metal again. That was a good. That's a good movie. <laughs> All right. Well, that is uh, that is Todd's list. That is power rankings. Let's move on into our trivia segment. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Last time I won trivia. So I got to assign stuff to watch. Uh, we've already mentioned one of them. So we're just going to go with it. Adam, you're first up. Tell us about what you watched. So I drank 7-Up for the first time today. And so there I want to review go. my... Oh. Oh, the movie. Sorry, my bad. Uh, this came out in 1964. It's the first film in the, the Notorious, well, not Notorious, but it's a really great series I've, I've heard called the Up Series. Follows a group of seven-year-olds, uh, British children from different backgrounds and interviewed about different subjects, you know, their careers, race, love, and class differences. It's interesting to see how this 40-minute uh, British TV special is kind of spawned in an interesting series here. I, I don't know if I've got into the characters as much as you have because you've seen them grow up in front of your eyes. Uh, so I'm looking forward to kind of diving into it. I think Tony, I if, didn't he have the girlfriend in like elementary school? Like that sounds well, right. Yeah. I think Tony had, they said he had the girlfriend. I, I thought that the interactions and some of the things they said were uh, very true because they're kids. They, they, you know, they have uh, no filters. So they just say whatever, uh, very honest depiction of the different things they were dealing with. I really don't know where to put it. I I feel like it's it's interesting. I don't know if uh, I would never have guessed this would have spawned like a series. So I think I, right now I'm giving I'll, I'll give it like a three and a half stars. I think it's like number two uh, in my um, number 1964 ranking, right below um, Doctor Strangelove. Um, it's a very. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the next chapter. And I, um, I talked to my wife about BritBox. So I might be doing the uh, subscription of BritBox to be able to knock out the next year. So next year we do this episode, I will be able to have this series done. And yeah, and we can discuss more. So, so. your top five first time watches of next year are going to be five of the Up series movies. Uh, um. I've also, yeah. And I, <laughs> and so that we can talk about the Decalogue again because it's celebrating its anniversary. That's the, my two biggest, big, big series watches I'll be doing next year. There we go. Yeah, the first one's great. I want to go back and watch it because I have a seven year old right now. So uh, I think that would be really interesting to go back and watch through the lens of what is having a seven year old and, yes. and listening to these seven year olds talk. So my daughter was, she's eight now. So she was sitting on the bed uh, playing on the switch or whatever. And I was watching it on the TV kind of there. And she was like, dad, what the heck are you watching? I was like, oh, it's something I have to sign for the podcast. And she was, then she started looking up. She's like, oh, that's interesting. And she went back to the game. I was like, yeah, but some of these answers you would actually say, kid. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. Was, that's the best part. Like, so it's definitely interesting. It's, it's good. It just, it's, it's interesting because it, it doesn't feel like a like a, a documentary series, like how it usually normal setup. It's kind of like these are a bunch of kids and there are interactions and they just kind of like the conversations are kind of like not as structured. But I guess that in a sense, they're seven. They can't be that structured. You have to be kind of 
loose with it, just kind of go with the things they say. So it's kind of candid. So it, right. it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting where the next one is. I can I can see myself kind of getting attached to the characters, like having the fond memories that you guys have with them too. So yeah, it's definitely a series that builds on itself as you revisit these characters every seven years and and see where they are, what they've become, and how how some things don't change and how some things change a lot. Zach, you're the you're yeah. the master of this series. Well, Adam, it's kind of like you've had the salad before the appetizer, before the entree. So you just have to kind of wait for the whole nine course meal to arrive. Um, I would say, though, Adam, did you like uh, the, the, the real uh, benefit uh, or the gift uh, of seven up to the world was the line that Andrew says, what do you think about having a girlfriend? He says, I have a girlfriend, but I don't think much of her. I think with my quote on the episode that we did 63 up, that's, right. that's the best moment in uh, seven up. Yeah, that that was uh, that was pretty fun. I don't think much of her. I have a girlfriend. I don't, I don't think much of her. Uh, Good stuff. My favorite line from that one is, "I only want to be a jockey. I just want to be a jockey." Uh, it, it's to, Tony from the get go. Tony is the best, the best character. Uh, in the whole thing and no, nothing in that changes throughout from a seven-year-old he looks like he's like a boxer already just kind of like <laughs> has that scrappy look to him he's like ah you see we're gonna go and uh and have a little boxing match over in the corner i like when they get into the the fighting they talk about uh fighting and uh, you know schoolyard politics stuff like that was pretty yeah. funny uh well i'm glad you liked it and yeah i'm glad to hear that you're gonna keep going and uh yeah, knock out this it. whole series it'll, might it'll as well gotta join the good. club it's it's so worth it it's so worth it it is such a a slice of life just like like zach said it's one of the most important movie franchises i'm a franchise you call it series that you've that there is because it really just it's it's a study in psychology it's a study in in growing up it's a study in how how we change throughout our lives um and like like we were saying just a couple years ago was 63 up and and so they're 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 in their 60s now and that might be the last one because michael abted passed away so um hopefully there's a 70 up hopefully someone picks it up but um but yeah this this might be the end of the series but uh i'm glad you i'm glad you enjoyed yeah yeah terry this also reminds me that you didn't have three identical strangers in the top five of last (laughs) it was just outside it was just outside similar, similar documentary in some ways that's true. It is true. All right, Zach. I honestly don't know how many movies you watched that I assigned you because I said you could watch either this one or this one, and you said, "Well, I already watched one of them, and I might get to the other." I only got to one. Okay. So I watched Emily the Criminal. What was the other one that you wanted me to watch? Zeus and Zoe. Okay. It was just okay, it was just a random no, one yeah, I threw is, out there. This is the interesting. But Emily one. the Criminal was the important. Emily said. the Criminal is an interesting movie. Um, it's uh, sort of it, it was plus five hundred at the beginning of the year that w- this would be the most divisive movie on our podcast. That that would that would have been a nice cash grab right there if you'd put some money on that because it's sort of not expected. I at least I don't think uh, Adam and Terry are not fans of this movie. Uh, Todd loves this movie, um, which so, I predicted by the way. I said he would give it three and a half stars. So as I am the last person to review it, Terry, can you tell the world what I thought of it? You gave it three stars. It's a three-star movie. <laughs> it's, it's perfectly <laughs> adequate, well-crafted, interesting movie. Uh, I did not pause this movie. It's on Netflix. Uh, I did not take a bathroom break. It was very interesting. It was. Uh, I love movies about uh, people who go from who have to drift into worlds of crime. 
Um, there is definitely like a little bit of like straight time, the Dustin Hoffman movie in this movie. Like, uh, I, I love that descent. It's breaking bad. You know, it's everything that, uh, it, it's fascinating stuff. And there is some breaking bad in this movie. Um, Aubrey Plaza plays Emily and, uh, she has a lot of student loan debt. She's a graphic design major. In the beginning of the movie, she gets chewed out at an office interview. Right? Not the only time in the movie she gets chewed out at an interview. Um, she descends into the world of this credit card sort of theft and fraud. Uh, she has this kind of fraught relationship with uh, the sort of engineer of this scheme named Youssef, and he's played by Theo Rossi. They sort of develop a torrid affair. This was a fun movie. I don't know what you guys didn't like about it. Obama even put it as, as his one, not one of his best movies of the year. Yeah, I, saw I, don't that. Know, it's, I don't know if I would call it necessarily Oscar caliber. It's not in my top 10 of the year, but it is really entertaining. I, and again, I just, I love movies about people who have to compromise on their morals and do stuff that is icky and uh, basically become another person. And it's fascinating. There's like, you know, Breaking Bad, there's a little bit of nobody in this. Um, it's just, it, it's fun stuff. And Aubrey Plaza continues to be the most unexpected actor maybe ever. And I still love Adam's pick of Ingrid Goes West on his top 25 of the 20, 2010s. That's a great pick. I love that. I don't love the movie that much. I love the pick more than I love the movie. But I love Aubrey Plaza and she's great in it. And yeah. I, I feel, I, I almost feel bad for you guys. I, I, th this was a fun movie. I don't know what prevented you from enjoying it. No, I think for, for me is I agree with like a lot of the stuff being so I just feel like I wanted more to it and i feel like uh it I, I, could, I agree i could have watched probably another half hour of that shit but more to it yeah i just feel like there was something in the movie that was missing uh i i would probably watch it again to be honest with you i definitely it's a higher end two and a half star movie for me and i really like aubrey plaza like todd has the like it's a Aubrey or Todd's left for Aubrey Plaza is like my left for Samara Weaving. It's just kind of like, kind of goes <laughs> hand in hand. Don't you think Samara Weaving and Margot Robbie look alike? How do they not get cast as relatives? Uh, one axes their nipples, the other one doesn't. Probably. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. That's the quote of the, the day, episode dude. right there. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now for for me emily the criminal i don't know i just felt like the the plot was a little underdeveloped i felt like uh it, it i don't know the the ending kind of felt like it it went to a place it didn't need to go and it was a little of, unrealistic it I'll got it got that. out of control it, it was, like well, I, the last the last shot not the ending the, the, <laughs> the where the story ends is a little like really that seems a yeah. little unlikely but yeah yeah no i it was, it was okay yeah it, it, yeah it, it was I, it, it felt like a like a first time screenwriter writing a movie and didn't. Quite it was a first. Doing. I don't know about it. It was a first. It got nominated for the um, Spirit Award for first screenplay, I believe. I gotta say, looking back on it, you can kind of see. Okay, it's like several movies I've seen. In the experience of watching it, I didn't know where the movie was going. I, I liked it. I thought it was kind of unpredictable and pretty unexpected. There's a great scene that involves a car theft that is really, really well done and very uh, intense and unpredictable. I mean, it, it had some really nice moments in it. All right. Well, uh, you you gave it exactly what we thought. So now we have a two, a two and a half, a three and a three and a half. Perfect. Which is the perfect for, for what we do. So there we go. All right. Trivia time. Oh, gosh. All right. So uh, we're wrapping up 2022 here. So we're going to do some uh, some 2022 wrap up with uh, with uh, two categories here. The first category is uh, the top 25 movies of 2022 according to metacritic 
Oh, oh God. <laughs> Can you name Brutal. the top 25 movies according to Metacritic? Uh, I will say some of the um, some of the uh, movies might be like like late release 2021, but like debatable whether they their actual release was 2021 or 2022. I'll just kind of throw that out there. Uh, and oh, the lowest God. the lowest rated uh, movie on this list on Metacritic is an 84. So that is the lowest rated movie on the list. So just kind of just kind of throwing that out there. So top 25 movies according to Metacritic score. I mean, I could have picked Rotten Tomatoes. I could have picked IMDb. I went with Metacritic. So it's one that I know not everyone looks at religiously. So we'll see how we'll see how this goes. Uh, we are going to start with we'll start with Adam. We'll give him the first crack at this one. Uh, Avatar 2. Avatar 2 is incorrect. Eh. Wow. But, uh, may- maybe I'll give you I'll give you um, oh, one, gosh. one strike. You know, a, a mulligan on. Oh, okay, so so we're going to go to Zach next, though. Everything, everywhere, all at once. That's Everything, everywhere, all at once is also incorrect. What? what is this list, Terry? Come on. I'm telling you, it, 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 this is the list. I, 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 I mean, yeah, it's not. On, it's not. On what? Well, who rates Metacritic? Me, That's the first. What is Metacritic? This sounds fraudulent. It sounds the, like the Hollywood Foreign Press. Metacritic non, is the number fifty. Or no, every, everything, everywhere, all at once is number fifty-five. It got an eighty. I don't disagree with that. That it should be. So not on that's the top that's 25. where it is on there. All right. Well, both of you struck out famously. I'll give you both an, a redo on this one. Adam, give another shot. Uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Banshees of Inisherin was number fifteen. That is correct. Wow. Adam, okay. Good. Well, there we go. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Nope. <laughs> oh, Come on. God. These are, these <laughs> are going to be the movies that get nominated for Best Picture. I know. Like, what, I know. They, let me find. Let me see here. Top Gun Maverick. Uh, landed. Metacritic. There's a reason no one talks about Metacritic. Yeah, I guess so. I should have picked something different, but this is what we're. This is the bed we're laying in right now. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Got a 78 on Metacritic. It's number 88 of the year. You're telling me there are 87 better movies than Top Gun Maverick? Oh, I don't think so, but that's what they're saying. Wow. All right. Um, Adam, you get one more shot at this. Um, <coughs> well, Ticket of Paradise is higher than freaking <laughs> stupid. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's go with... Oh, my God. Uh, I don't even want to attempt the 2001. 21 movies um let's go with uh, tar tar is number two (laughs) wow that zach likes that though that's good that's a good pick all right you can keep going going? oh if you you can Um, i'm not i've never been in this position before so i never (laughs) um well, if, if Top Gun is out, I don't, why would I, I don't know if I should say the Batman. Not Batman's up there. Um, uh, let's go with what's that other movie that I need to see? That's that's uh, probably something. Um, the Woman King. No, that's wrong. Okay, that, well, all right, cool. Well, all right, so we're two nothing on this. That that the, there's a reason I did this one first. All right, so here's here's a list from twenty five to one twenty five. There, there's a lot of movies I haven't heard of on this list, but you know, 
Number 25, Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America. 24, oh. The Fablemans. 23, Decision to Leave. 22, In Front of Your Face. 21, To Leslie. I think that's a movie Zach likes. Uh, number okay. 20, I know is a movie Zach likes. Happening. 19, One Fine Morning. 18, All That Breathes. 17, My Imaginary Country. 16, Playground. You should have told us this was a bougie list. If you had said that this it's is Metacrit more like it, uh, a little bit, yeah. a little bit aristocratic, I that would have helped that. some of my picks. Fifteen, the Banshees of Inisherin. Fourteen, Descendant. Thirteen, A Night of Knowing Nothing. Number twelve, Aftershock. Eleven, Three Minutes, A Lightning. Aftershock or After Sun? Aftershock. What is Aftershock? I don't know. Number ten, Return it's to Soul. Elysium beer. Number nine, The Quiet Girl. <laughs> Number eight, Mr. Bachman and his class. Number seven, Great Freedom. Number six, No Bears. Number five, Hit the Road. Number four, The Worst Person in the World, which is the one that was late mm -hmm. 2021. I've heard of No Bears only. before. Number three, no All the Beauty and the bears. Bloodshed. Uh, number two, Tar. And number one at a 95 Metacritic score, which is four points above Tar, is Aftersun. So... That that's that's how that one went. So Adam's winning two nothing, uh, and Yay. that was the list that I thought he was going to do worse on. So number or so our second <laughs> category is top twenty five box office of twenty twenty two. Now this is uh, this is money earned during twenty twenty two, which means there might be some late twenty twenty one releases that earned a lot of money in twenty twenty two. So the top box office movies of 2022, not necessarily just 2022 movies. So I'm going to throw that out there. Okay. Zach, you're first on this one. Well, if Top Gun doesn't make this list, I quit the podcast. Can I top, just say that? Top Gun Maverick <laughs> is number one at $718 million it made this year. There we go. It's on one of the lists. Should be on both. I'll, just, I'll throw this one out. Avatar 2. Avatar 2 is number 8. It's at 293 million so far. By the way, this is according to Box Office Mojo, which so you know it's it's good. Zach. And 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 you know it's good. Let's hear let's hear for Fred Hayes. Uh Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever is number two, 428 million. Correct. Uh Minions, Rise of Gru. Minions Ooh. the Rise of Gru is number five, nice 369 call. million. Whew. That made a shit ton of money. That might, yeah. Sorry, parents who went to the anyway. <laughs> uh Thor Love and Thunder. Thor Love and Thunder, number seven at 343 million. Adam. How, what top what? How many top 25? Top 25. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Jurassic World That's Dominion terrible. is number four, 376 wow. million. That's a lot. I'll, uh, I'll tell you this number 25 on the list made 81 million. So that gives you some parameters. Okay. So there's some you said this could include 2021 movies? As long it, it's if highest they're, earning they're, in so 2022. Spider -Man. Yeah. Spider Man. Spider Man No Way Home is number nine. It made 231 Smart. million in 2022, 804 million total. Uh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, number three, four hundred eleven million. That's correct. Uh, the Batman. The Batman, number six, made three hundred sixty-nine million. That is correct. You now have the top nine. That's all you've said is the top nine. So you're doing great. 
Adam. Uh, Lightyear. Lightyear, number 15, 118 million. Correct. Elvis. Elvis, number 12, 151 million. Correct. Um, Uncharted. Uncharted, number 13, 148 million. Wow. People saw that? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's okay. It's not the video game. Uh, the Lost City. Oh, the Lost call. City, number 17, 105 million. That was a fun movie. One uh, of the few I missed. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. It's, I think it's on Hulu. No, no, it's on yeah, Amazon. It's on one of them, yeah. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. That is number 10, 190 million. Black Adam. Black Adams number eleven, one hundred sixty-seven million. Scream. Scream is number twenty-five, eighty-one wow. million. Wow. Okay, that made nothing. Jeez. Uh. Ticket to Paradise. Ticket to Paradise. Actually is incorrect wow. oh it was between incorrect. one or the other i i only had two left all right adam do you have any more i might give you guys a, I'll, I'll you know what i think i'm gonna give you guys this, a, a strike on this one too so zach is still in but adam gets okay. to go for go next morbius that's a good morbius good so i'm pretty sure morbius was number 26 um so that is not on the list oh inter- okay well it wasn't good so yeah but but I, I'm pretty sure I saw that was number twenty six. So so we're we're clear. Zach, do you have any more? The Woman King. The Woman King is also not on the list. Ah, God damn it! All right, well I'm out. Zach's out. Adam. Oh, that uh, that um, super pet movie. Um, yes, The Legend of PC Hank. League of Super Pets PC number twenty one of... made ninety three million. That is correct. Wow, Adam is the champion. Um. Is there anything else? I mean, you're already winning by uh, one, but by three. So, All right. Well, uh, let's just see. You shouldn't say anything because if it's a really bad pick, we might dock you like four points. Like if you <laughs> and I might lose power ranking my points too. Jeez. Yeah, I'll shut up. Uh, All right. So yeah, Adam wins. So the ones you you guys did really well on this list. The ones you missed, uh, you got the top thirteen, which is pretty great. Number fourteen was Nope. Oh my oversight. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Number 16 cool. was Smile. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, number 18, Bullet Train. Mm-hmm. Number 19 was another uh, another animated, The Bad Guys. Number 20, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Possibly that came out this year? 2022 movie. God, yeah, that, came, that got forgotten. Mads Mickelson. Right? <laughs> you ready for this? Number 22. Where the Crawdads Sing made $90 million. That didn't go straight to Netflix? <laughs> yeah. That's number Taylor 23, Swift's The Oscar Black campaign. Phone. Adam's number one. And number 24 was another, was a Christmas 2021 release, Sing 2. Oh, yeah. Okay. So by a score of uh, 11 to 8, Adam wins trivia. He gets to assign us something to watch. So there we go. I'm going to assign Todd something, too. Better be tomorrow. I, I never win the. There we go. There we yeah, go. Terry, ready or not? Uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> Zach, babysitter. Right, no, no, no. I'll okay. uh, get back to you. 
Let's let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Adam, you're first. Okay, I, I got a good one. Uh, I'm pretty happy. I, I, I every when I seen the movie Glass Onion, this is the only thing that I knew. I'm like, this is gonna be my quote of the day. We're going to the Lonely Island. Pop star never stop, never stopping. It's their song Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, you're an overrated piece of shit with your terrible style and your dead shark eyes and your smirk like you're hiding a dick. What the <laughs> fuck is this garbage? Mona Lisa. I can go on, but that, there we go. That's my quote of the day. Wow. Pops. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking of that song after I saw the Mona Lisa several times in Glass Onion. So there we Very go. Very nice. Very nice. I'm glad you started with me. That was yeah. not. That's not in the show worthy. <laughs> that's, not, that's not into the show worthy. You're right. All right, Adam, or, uh, Zach, what do you have? All right, my uh, quote of the day comes from my notes on Babylon. So it was fun <laughs> in preparation for this podcast, writing down all the similarities between Babylon and Boogie Nights. Here's what I wrote down. I wrote down Little Bill's suicide, uh, Chick ODs at the party, Rayhad Jackson slash Alfred Molina. Um, the introduction of sound slash the introduction of video moving into the 30s slash moving into the 80s. And then here's my quote of the day. Margot Robbie can cry on command like Dirk Diggler can. F <laughs> <laughs> yes, get it. That's beautiful. I love it. All right. Well, uh, my quote of the day, I had a couple of them. Um, one of them I didn't uh, I, I didn't write down exactly how it went, but it's from Babylon. It's from Brad Pitt's character. It's near the end, and I thought it described the podcast really well when he said it's a steaming pile of mediocrity. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought it uh, it uh, it described us pretty well, but the one I went with also describes us very well. It's from Glass Onion. It's by Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig. He looks at um, at uh, Kate Hudson's character and he says it's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought and speaking the truth don't you think and i feel like that describes this podcast quite well i think we always speak without thought it's true it's true <laughs> not really a debate <laughs> dangerous thing dangerous thing all right well uh thank you guys so much for listening uh to this extended episode but it's fine we had a lot of fun with it last episode of 2022 happy new year guys uh, we'll be back at you next time with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See ya. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.